that I didn't fit in. I didn't look like everyone else, you know, and it just, I always felt kind of like an outsider. I had to get to like a rock bottom emotionally as far as like, I'm really unhappy for me to be willing to make that change. You're making more, but then you're spending more to kind of compensate for the fact that you're not really doing what you want to do, you know? About a week before my break started, so as you know, I've been planning for over a year for this break, and um, my younger brother very unexpectedly passed away. And I was like, how the F do I get <laughs> to where I'm going? I was like so nervous. The very first order of business was a three-month road trip the people that was one of the things that struck me um you know the people were so freaking friendly it was like wow this is really cool so i really enjoyed uh Medellin, my time in Medellin. i stayed there for two weeks i couldn't i didn't want to wow. leave it was so fantastic yeah. the food was so amazing and it was like the best experience ever i'm so glad i didn't quit Hello and welcome to the Wing It Travel Podcast with me, James Hammond. Personally, I have been to 50 countries. I've met so many people on my travels that I want to bring on this podcast and get their story on record. I have plenty of tips and stories to share with you as well. Are you a backpacker or a traveller or gap year student or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. Throughout the weeks and months, you'll get many guests and solo episodes where I try to cover all range of subjects within travel. This is a casual and informative travel podcast to inspire you to travel in the future. Do you fancy some bonus content with this episode? Then fear not. If you sign up to my Patreon today, by going on to www.patreon.com forward slash podcast, then you'll find these extra features every week for Monday and Friday's episode. One bonus episode every month, some ad-free content, some early access to episodes exclusive added travel must have feature on every episode patron shout out some ad hoc bonus episodes you'll get a copy of my digital travel panel which is available on etsy and you'll get my monthly winging it travel podcast magazine if this takes your fancy you can sign up for four pounds seven dollars fifty canadian six dollars us a month and i really thank you for supporting the podcast hope you enjoy the podcast thanks for listening and supporting this and i'll see you soon cheers james let's get into the episode Hello and welcome to this week's episode where I'm joined by Katrina McGee, who is an avid traveller and a career sabbatical coach. Katrina quit her corporate job to go travelling on a 20-month worldwide trip and I've got some serious questions about that journey, how she came to that decision, what her current business offers and of course get some favourite places travelled around the world on record. Katrina, I'm super excited to chat to you today. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? So good. I'm really excited. You, I'm just. This is going to be such a fun conversation. So my day is off to a great start. Fantastic. And I'm excited too because I love other travelers coming on to talk about their journey. So tell us where you are right now and what you're up to. Yeah. So I um, am currently in Asheville, North Carolina for the summer. So I moved here kind of on a whim because I wanted to settle down for three months. And that three months has turned into four and a half um, oh. <laughs> and probably one more month. So it's been a really, really fun summer here in Asheville. Um, and I've, I've really just enjoyed it. It's been a great place to be. Okay. So for my European listeners, can you sort of tell roughly where North Carolina is in US? Yeah. Yeah. It's on the East Coast, kind of um, sort of the most Northern part of the South. So above okay. um, South Carolina and Georgia, but um, yeah, it's got very temperate weather, all four seasons, lots of trees, there's mountain, there's beaches. Um, it's a really cool state. Okay, awesome. And is it the type of state that maybe in the fall would be like pretty cool to go and see because of the trees and they all fall off and stuff like that? 
Absolutely. Yeah. They have a lot of, um, I think they call it leaf peeping. So a lot of people passing through to check out the fall leaves and there's like the Blue Ridge Parkway. And so wow. I think it's actually kind of famous for that. Yeah. Awesome. When I see images of the fall, it is normally like Vermont area in New mm. England. They yeah. seem to have the idyllic like hit rolling hills and the colors and they're the ones you see on social media anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty popular up in the Northeast. Okay. Awesome. So I mentioned in the intro, you have gone traveling before say it lightly, and you also quit your corporate job. So we're going to sort of have a three-pronged attack, really. We're going to have a bit of information about pre-travel, what you're doing, your job, what led you to that decision to maybe quit your job and go on this massive journey. We're going to talk about the journey, of course. We've got to ask some questions about that. And then we're going to go to where you are now and what you're offering and what's maybe some future travel plans. That's kind of the attack we're going to go for. I love those three prongs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So first question before sort of travel really came into it. I think you said in your email to me that you didn't travel anywhere before 29 years old. So yeah. what were you doing up to that point was just working in your corporate job and career. Yeah, I was basically working my corporate job. I had moved around um, a tiny bit, but mostly, you know, lived in Atlanta uh, post-college. I did my undergrad in Massachusetts. But for me, you know, I always had this dream of traveling abroad, but I grew up in a really small town in a very rural state. People weren't traveling. It wasn't something my family did internationally. So it always felt sort of inaccessible. It was exciting and scary and awesome, but I really didn't know where to get started. I actually went to the post office and got a passport when I was 26, but it took me three more years to actually figure out how to use it. First step. Um, yeah, it's like the first step. I was like, yeah. I'm doing something, I'm walking. Yeah, <laughs> baby steps, exactly. So yeah, up until that point, I traveled a lot domestically. And I mean, the US is a big is a big country, yeah. so there were a lot of places to go, but I had never really taken that leap to go abroad. Okay, and I do have some listeners from Georgia as well. And I had a couple of podcasts come on from Georgia and they just say the same thing about the, the state itself, about how people just don't travel much even to another state. It's, it's quite rare. They might go to some states next door, but even going abroad is like a totally... Yeah. Really? Like, what were you doing? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, growing up, you know, we, I wasn't on a plane for the first time until I was 17. Um, I was graduating from college. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it was a pretty, it was a pretty sheltered experience. You know, (laughs) you might drive to a nearby state, but you really didn't leave the bubble. Okay. And growing up, did you do many trips um, as a family, like around different states in the U.S.? We did not. So, um, you know, my my grandparents lived in Pennsylvania, which was the state north of West Virginia, which is where I grew yeah. up. So we would go visit them, which was like a three hour drive. I think we went to D.C. once, which was very exciting um, <laughs> for us. You know, it was like a four and a half hour drive, but we really didn't travel outside of that circle. And I remember, you know, my parents making a decision. I was about 12 years old and my mom and dad, we wanted a pool. And my parents were like, listen, we can't do all the things. So we're either going to take vacations or we're going to, we're going to, you know, save up and get the pool. And my brother and I were like, pool, pool, let's do the pool. <laughs> it was a very short-sighted decision because the pool gets old after like two years and then yeah. nobody swims anymore. And you're like, man, I wish we were on the vacation right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was like a conscious decision my parents kind of made. And I mean, even if we had taken a vacation, it would have been, you know, like a four or five hour drive away. Right. That's yeah. fine. Isn't it? Like that, that's the reality for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you do what you can. Yeah. Um, I've, I've said many times podcast, similar situation. We would always drive to somewhere in the UK, but never abroad. So like you, 17 passport. But the thing is, UK is small, right? So my first trip on a plane was, was to Germany. It wasn't like to uh, yeah. somewhere in the UK where the same distance in the flight would be like you flying to, I don't know, West Coast or something, right? Yeah, yeah. That flight's like six hours, I think, to fly oh, to the wow. West Coast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's far. <laughs> it's so big. Like when you think at home, 
because I knew a bit about geography, right? So I was interested really young. If you told me six hour flight, I'd like, well, that's like Turkey. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. That's like the end yeah. of Europe. At the other end. Yeah, actually, you're right. Yeah, that's yeah, almost into far. the least like Dubai. Is, I, I think it's maybe seven hours from wow. UK. So yeah, it's mm. just crazy how big US is. Yeah, it's pretty big. Yeah. And did you have any inkling in the back of your mind to travel growing up? Was there anything there that sparked your interest? Oh my gosh, absolutely. You know, I <laughs> I had fantasies about traveling abroad uh, ever since I was a little kid. I just always felt like the world was this exciting place and I never really felt like I belonged where I grew up. So I think there was also this desire to go out and see the world and discover if there was a place where I felt, you know, like, oh, these people are more like me or I belong here. Or I feel more comfortable here. But um, I had all of these fantastic visions and daydreams all the time from, you know, like watching TV and movies. I remember there was this ridiculously lame movie. I think it was called like California girls or something. And this guy was like in Buffalo, New York or something. And it was like dreary, rainy, snowy. And then he flies to California and it's like bright and sunny and colorful. <laughs> and I just remember being like, what is California? Like I need to go to California. You know, like I was always in my mind, just going other places. <laughs> I've got a couple of questions actually from that little bit there. First of all, why, why didn't you feel at home or belong there? What was the feeling there? Yeah. So I'm actually biracial. My dad is black and my mom is white and I grew up in rural West Virginia and you know, it's mostly white and it's mm. also, um, not the most progressive place. Just, it's just yeah. not. And so, you know, not that everyone was mean or anything, but there was a lot of racism. Um, some of it more blatant and some of it more passive, mm. but I think, you know, I was always aware like comments about my hair, comments about my body shape, comments about my family that I didn't fit in. I didn't look like everyone else, you know, and it just, I always felt kind of like an outsider. There were definitely moments where I felt like that was my community, you know, is where I grew up, but there was, a, there were a lot of moments where I just knew like, I'm something, something is not like something here is not like the other you know and that was me so yeah that's really interesting it's also sad to hear um, yeah but maybe you know that those were the times right but hopefully now we're progressing to not be like that i'm sure this it is still like that in some places but yeah well i grew yeah, up it's, in norwich it's yeah, incredibly it's, white i think it's actually one of the whitest cities in uk diversity is not too big a thing there it's getting more diverse but when i was growing up we're, we're probably roughly the same age right so yeah, it would definitely like there was a guy I used to walk to school with. He's called Bally. Uh, same situation. His dad was white. His mum was black. His mum was from South Africa. Mm. But he was the, that I can remember, the only guy who wasn't white. Definitely in our year, possibly even in our school. And our school's got 1,000 to 1,500 people, right? It's, it's just crazy to think that. And then I went to London to study. I'm like, oh, wow. And here in, in Canada, in my job, I'm now the minority, right? So my team's got a team of 30 in my job and I'm the minority and they're asking me like, ah, oh, you know, how does that feel? I'm like, it's absolutely fine. I have no problems with it. And they're like saying, well, we've kind of felt a minority all our lives, like, cause they've moved here. Right. So I'm like, oh, okay. But they're super nice to me. It's like, it's not the same cause they probably had bad experiences, but I've, I've only had yeah. a good experience with it. So it's a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I think being, you know, being a minority, like being someone that is not like everyone else can be fun if people are curious or supportive or just let you be. And I think, you know, the dynamic at play for, you know, a lot of people of color, at least in the U.S., I can speak to that, right, is that it's not supported, it's not embraced, and it's sort of met with a lot of prejudgments based on who you are, what you're capable of, um, mm. you know, and what your background must be. And so that's really tough. And, you know, like my niece is my brother's daughter and um, her mom is from Ghana. And so she's clearly black and mm. growing up in the same town. And as much as I would have hoped that, you know, 30 years later, it would be different. Her experiences are 
sadly, like pretty similar in a lot of ways. So, you know, I just, it's, it's a, it's a complicated thing, but I definitely think there's, there's beauty in being an other and sort of bringing oh, yeah. a different perspective to it, but it's not, and not everyone's on board with embracing that. So you've got the people who are just, I guess, generation on generation are, are the same, treating you, saying bad things, treating you, it doesn't seem to get better. It needs the other people who are like nice to you and I'm not going to yeah. put the word normal in there, but just like, just, just treat open. you normally and open, yeah, open and, and curious. curious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah, them to like kind of almost like talk to the other side say hey look what why are you like that like you need them to kind of help it's an interesting situation yeah there you go so interesting mm-hmm. the other thing i was going to say about earlier was my dream when i was younger six seven years old watching tom and jerry oh yes um, there's an episode where he, where he goes to hawaii and that hawaiian music and i know it's cartoon you see like the the palm beach and the little islands i was like where where do you find those places <laughs> that was my first That's travel awesome. thought I love that. That was yeah. amazing. Yeah. So Hawaii was probably my early mm-hmm. dream, if you like. Yeah. And it wasn't until I went about nearly 10 years ago now, which is quite scary. That was my first I have yet to be to as many places as I've, as I've been. Hawaii is still one of the like places I have not seen yet. And I'm so freaking excited for it. And I actually, I don't know. Do you know astrocartography? Have you heard of that term before? Astrocartography? Uh-huh. Sounds yeah. something to do with the stars or the, uh, or the space. Yeah, yeah, it's like it, it, it like fuses together like star space stuff with astrology, and so okay. it kind of comes together and like it's based on like when you're born and where you're born, but it shows all these energetic lines that pass through the world, and so in theory there are these places where you're just really energetically aligned and like good oh. things find you, and so um, I was doing my I was reading my chart last night and I discovered that Hawaii is like one of the places my line passes through, and I'm like. I really you need to move there. this place up <laughs> yeah. on my list. Exactly. I was like, I need to go there really soon. Oh, wow. I'm interested to see what mine would say now. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's interesting because some places grab you, right? I, well, we'll talk about this probably on your, on your travels. Yeah. But there's some places that just get you, and it's not all the places. You could say you love somewhere, like you've been there somewhere, like, I don't know, three months, like India for me, I've been three months. Did it yeah. grab me? No, but I loved it. But yeah. if I said to you, if you asked me, like, where, where grabbed me on, on any of my travels, Somewhere like Cook Islands grabbed me. Mm. I was like, oh, I love this place. Also, New Zealand sort of grabbed me. There's a few places that just do that, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but I've long said Buenos Aires is like one of my happy places. And I remember uh, yeah. when the plane would start to descend, it was like just something in my energy would shift and I would just feel lighter and I would feel like happiness starting to like creep in. And even if I wasn't doing fantastic and exciting things, I just generally felt like, oh, this place, like mm-hmm. something belongs here. Some part of me belongs here. It was really cool. Yeah. I think the other place would be Rio de Janeiro for me. That's a, Oh, that's Rio. A, a yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's an edgy place, but I just feel totally, I love it. I could, I could live there for sure. I felt that way about Sao Paulo, actually. I really love Rio. Rio is gorgeous. But when Ah. I went to Sao Paulo, I was like, hey, hey, what is this place? I need, (laughs) I need to be here for longer. I didn't like Sao Paulo. So that's an interesting. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like it. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Anyway, we'll come to travels in a minute. Let's, Let's just carry on before. So you're working in a career up to a certain point. What was your job you're doing? Yeah. So my first career was as an actuary, which is basically a <laughs> very mathy job. And I was, that wasn't me. And I was sure that that wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, but I had no idea how you leave a great job with great pay and great job security. So I decided to go get my MBA and try to change careers from one air quotes, smart job to <laughs> another <laughs> smart job. 
and I moved into market research. And so okay. um, right before I took my break, I I was about eight months into my new market research career in life in Minnesota when I sort of had this realization that my job wasn't working and that this second corporate career didn't fit me any better than the first. Is it a general feeling or was it more granular to the job? It was a general feeling. Mm -hmm. Something about that office life, so unnatural. I felt I felt like, you know, the best parts of me didn't, they weren't assets in a corporate setting and right. they weren't necessarily valued. And so to live a life where I never got to fully come alive or the parts of me that make me interesting, special, um, you know, that, that let me have a meaningful impact on the world. If, if I'm in a situation where I'm not bringing those parts of myself out into the world, it's like, why am I here? And I think that was sort of something I couldn't articulate maybe as well back then, but that I definitely felt on a soul level. Yeah. Very interesting conversation that, isn't it? Because I done some research on this recently about people who are, I think Yuhan Hari, I've said before on this podcast, that he does some research on people who like their jobs. And I think I'm going to probably butcher the, the exact numbers here, but it's something like 13 to 14% of people love their job. So they're in the, the dream zone, right? Love going to work every day, feel purposeful, mm -hmm. et cetera. And he said at the, at the other end, there's 24% who hate their job, just need to do it, just get by, get the money, provide mm -hmm. the family. And there's a big chunk in the middle that just go, that's a job. And it pays all right. Yeah. And it pays for a house. Very cruisy and not willing to maybe take a risk to leave, but can do the job. Yeah. And he said, so you got like, I don't know, around 80% of people, probably a bit more, who either don't like their job or just like, well, it's all right. <laughs> and this, this dominates like 40 hours of your week at minimum, normally. At minimum, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, it took, I can speak for myself, it took a really sort of like painful, I had to get to like a rock bottom emotionally as far as like, I'm really unhappy for me to be willing to make that change because there is a lot of risk. There's a lot of uncertainty. I think life is uncertain, but you're really owning the uncertainty when you decide to take a leap, you're acknowledging that you mm. don't know versus pretending that you know. And so, you know, I do think for the 80% in the middle, sometimes it works. Like people can find happiness and things outside of their job and that's yeah. good enough for where they are in that season of life. But I think for me, I was in that 80% and then I fell more towards the bottom, but I had to fall to the bottom to be like, I can't take this anymore. There has to be more to life than this to like mm. jump and leapfrog to that 13 to 14% that love their job. Yeah, I think I'm in the same journey right now, if I'm honest. I can do the job and you sort of question, but why? Why are you doing it? And if you're brutally honest, a lot of people in the middle would say, well, it's just for the money. Mm -hmm. And it has, it has its level. Curious, like you, I'm like, well, there must be more to life than that. Yeah. Or I'm not doing the role that for me, I would consider it to be in the 13, 14% at the end where like, yeah, I love it. So it's on a, a bit of a journey to try and find what that is. Yeah. But some people are not risk takers, but I'm a risk taker, so I will take a risk. I think life's too short not to take a risk. It's interesting. That you yeah, I don't want to die not knowing. You know, these are questions mm. that could possibly never get answered. I think subconsciously we think, I don't need to answer it now. I can go into retirement and have this really exciting, joyful, thrilling life. And it doesn't work like that. If you haven't been practicing staying in alignment, if you haven't been practicing getting to know yourself, pursuing interests and passions and things like that, and you've been sacrificing for sort of this just okay life, you have to unlearn that at some point. And I think if you start trying to unlearn that at the end of life, it's not nearly as exciting <laughs> as you think it would be, you know? Um, so I just, I just want to know that I lived it. I, I experienced it. I got to see what it was like to love what I do. I got to see what it was like to travel the world. Like there are just so many questions I want to answers to before I die. Yeah questions and you don't want to get to 65 70 
look back the last 40 years going, God, I put in a lot of hours in that job and does that actually mean anything? Oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a crazy situation. Like you, you have the other side, like, oh, you know, I had kids or had a, got a nice home. Kids is different, but material things only get to a certain point, right? Yeah. Um, if you're not getting experiences to talk about when you're older, it's going to be a very boring conversation. So that for me is I need to go and see the world a bit more and see what I can find. I so support this. <laughs> very interesting. So you got to rock bottom. So when you hit that point, you must have started a plan. You must have, right, okay. You know, you could just quit straight away. But I guess in a realistic world, like a lot of people, you probably have to put plans together say, well, I'll do this another six, eight, ten, whatever it is, months. What yeah. was your plan? Yeah. So, you know, I did hit that rock bottom, but I did not know what the plan was and I did not mm. know how to get out. And so I actually had a friend, this was in 2011. I had a friend um, who knew my situation, connect me with her friend who was a life coach. And I didn't know what a life coach was back then, but I knew I needed help. And that sounded, you know, really awesome and interesting. Somebody's going to help me figure out my life. Yes, please. And so we started working together and it took me six months, honestly, of a lot of personal reflection to really let go of all of the shoulds that were keeping me in this thinking mm. that, you know, this corporate life and making a lot of money and doing this thing and not disappointing people. That was what I had to do. It wasn't even like I was conscious that I was making a choice every day to keep that life and that lifestyle. It was like, no, this is just what they're, this is like, this is how it is. This normal. is the fact. This is yeah. what, yeah, this is normal. And this is what I have to do. It's not mm. a choice. I have to do this. And I didn't. And so you know, once those six months of like really digging deep sort of gave me this epiphany that all I wanted to do was travel the world. I didn't want to find a third career. I didn't want to keep grinding it out in an office job. Um, then that's when I was like, oh crap, that's a big dream. I have $1,500 in my bank account. Um, I need to figure this plan out ASAP. And so, um, you know, I really sat with what would this time off look like? And I got a quick estimate together of what I thought it could cost. And then really the time for planning was largely around working hard to save the money. And so I thought I needed about $38,000. So I got my plan together and I started saving and it took me 18 months. I saved 40 K. And then, um, once I had the $40,000, I was able to go. Yeah. That, that's the part of any trip I think people are really interested I get asked so many times like James you know you get these people come on like they travel for a year and a half and mm. they're doing this they said that's great but how did they get to that point like I'm like okay I'll, I'll ask the questions <laughs> so <laughs> yeah I, I give my experience like, I I knew I wanted to go for my two-year trip in 2013 pretty much New Year's Day 2011 I was oh. like right I've got two years to go yeah I've got to save money I've got to complete my degree Mm -hmm. and that's the right thing to do you can be rogue and just go for it but realistically it's not going to happen i've got no money so people yeah. put plans in place because i think people perceive people who go on these big trips as they've got loads of money but it's not the case they they're yeah. generally people like us right who just have a job and need yeah. to save money Absolutely. I love that our timelines were so similar. So I started, you know, I started my coaching in 2011, had that epiphany towards the end of 2011 mm. and um, started saving. And so I left ah, in 2013 wow. as well. Oh, really? Um, for oh, my, wow. Yeah. And my break ended up being 20 months because I had done such a great job saving money. And then I'd become so good about spending money that I just traveled until the money ran out. And so it <laughs> ended up being longer than a year. So when, when did that finish that little, uh, we'll come to the details, but when did that finish? Yeah. I'll try to get Yeah. It wrapped there. up at the end of, um, 2014. Oh, it's exactly the same as me. Oh, <laughs> came, wow. That's so funny. I, I came back to UK after Oktoberfest in Germany in November, 2014. Yeah. So that was that's 20, cool. 23 months ish. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's crazy. Cool. Same timeline, isn't it? Yeah. 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 
never felt worried or it's the wrong thing. It felt totally the right thing. That's what I felt at the time. But oh. I think it's different. I was a bit younger at that point. I just finished university and I could work in the summers between semesters. Mm-hmm. That's different to just having a corporate job, right? Where you, you've got yeah. essentially a career and it is going to be a big leap to come away from that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is that, you know, there were moments where it felt so amazing, but I definitely had freak out moments, especially towards the end of what do I do next? And what does this mean? You know, I was 10 years older, so I was about 32, um, 33 when I was on my trip. And okay. so for me, it was like, holy crap, like, what? you know, like, am I doing this? Cause it, there weren't other people doing it <laughs> in my age with my career and my you know degree and the level of debt I had, cause I still had student loans from my business school degree. So mm you know, there was just a lot riding on it, but, um, you know, part of what I, and we'll talk about this later, but part of what I help coach my clients on is how to separate themselves from that panic and fear about what comes next once the break is over. So they can be fully present to all the miracles and benefits of a break and actually be on a break. But it definitely, I think takes work to stay in that presence and stay in that place because there are a lot of bigger questions waiting for you once it's over. Yeah. Huge questions. Yeah. I've got like a very, uh, it could be a privileged mindset. Actually. I don't know. I tend to think, well, okay, if I go on a big trip, this could be 10 years ago, could be now, and get to 18 months' time and I run out of money, what's the worst scenario? Well, the worst scenario is I can just go and get an office job where I've got myself into a space. And a lot of people are modern day. You can work a computer, right? You can operate Microsoft Excel or or Word or a cloud-based system. If you're a semi-quick learner and semi-proficient in those things, there's going to be a job out there for you, especially now when people quit anyway. Yeah. What's the worst thing that happened? You just get a job you don't like for six months and you just reevaluate. That's the worst scenario. And you still got a bit of income and you can still even save some more. So I do kind of think if you're just not sure about what happens at the end, there is something else that you kind of start again. But I think the difference this time is from last time, I want to have a plan if I was to go away again for afterwards. So I don't have to come back into this yeah. same sort of role and same lifestyle, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, not everyone has that mindset. So I think that is a really empowering mindset. It gives you so much more space and room to to really live your dreams or to go after happiness and find that sense of security and safety within yourself, which is fantastic. I think for a lot of people that make really great money in corporate lives, one of the big questions is, you know, well, how am I, am I going to have to take a pay cut? <laughs> am I going to like, how can I survive off of less than this? Because, you know, we, we have that lifestyle creep and we start to just spend what we make and we get used <laughs> to that. And we think we have to have that level of everything to be happy. And so then when we think about, well, to your point, I could just get another job and I might not like it, but I could save some money. You know, the extra question they're adding is like, but how much less would I have to take? I can't live off of less. And so all mm. that drama, right. Makes them feel like their consideration set is a lot smaller than it really is. Yeah, it's the classic social norm. I talk about this with my sister a lot and also my mm-hmm. partner here. People have a job, right? And they have a salary level and that enables you to have that house or apartment, that car. And as soon that as they get a raise, yeah. yeah, whatever it is, as soon as they get a raise, they're like, oh, what more can I have? No, 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 you can't do that. Stay where you are and let that go higher, the money. So then you've got a bit of, I don't know, yeah. a bit of space, but people just keep going up and up and up. That means they're tied in. Yeah, you then yeah, get into a situation, you've got no option. Yeah, it's a re and I think it's a reinforcing loop where, you know, 
if you're in that 80% and you don't like love your work, especially if you're kind of skewing more towards the bottom where you're like, I really don't like, like it, but it pays Mm -hmm. well. And it's good enough. I think the, the lifestyle creep is partly compensation because you're like, I'm sacrificing my happiness. I'm sacrificing these hours of my life. I should get to do dot, dot, dot. I should live in a bigger house. I should take bigger trips. I should spend more money on a vacation. I should put my kid in a nicer school. You know, like it's, it's the things that sort of in their mind justify, right. Making the sacrifice. And so it's like, this reinforcing loop where you're making more, but then you're spending more to kind of compensate for the fact that you're not really doing what you want to do, you know? But then you never ever get into a situation that if you want to change your mind, um, let's just take like kids out of it because that's a bit more complicated, but let's say mm-hmm. you just got materialistic things. You're committed to paying your finance and your car or your house mortgage, and it's huge because you are relying on that salary to almost be on the breadline almost and like not have too much savings. I, I don't know how you get out of it. I, I'm sure there's ways, but people need to really think hard about, is it really worth just to keep going up and up and up with the salary that you get? Yeah. More things that are more expensive. I'm just going to add that I was that person, right? So I actually, you know, I grew up in a family that did not have a lot of money and I was really good in my first eight years of not living above my means or really living at, like I was saving money. I bought a house at 24. I mean, I was, yeah, I was on a path, right? I was doing great. And then I went to business school and I, at that time I'd been working for 10 years and there was a mentality at business school. I had not really been immersed in, which is just like, we're all going to make great money once school's over and we're networking and we're schmoozing and everybody's traveling and they're staying in nice hotels and they're going abroad. And it was like, wow. And I think I just fell into that hype and I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, great. It's on student loans, but whatever. (laughs) And you know, I, I didn't live above my means, but I definitely started living at my means. I wasn't dumb with my money, but I also wasn't smart with my money. And so at the moment that I realized I wanted to take a break, I only had $1,500 in my bank account. I basically still had 40 something, 50 something thousand dollars worth of student loan debt. And so I was making like 90, 95 at the time. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I had no reason to not have savings and to have more money, but it was exactly what we're talking about. Right. It was like, I had sort of increased my lifestyle. I had this great apartment right in the middle of uptown. And I was so excited and I would go out to eat at nice restaurants. You know, I just didn't worry about anything. And I just sort of Mm. spent what I felt like spending. And so to that point, you know, I kind of fell into that trap and it was deciding I wanted to take a break and knowing how much money I needed is what started that mental reset of how I think about money, how I relate to money, how I spend money and how I save money. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. I never succumbed to that corporate lifestyle because I don't think I've ever had a job that kind of has that, but I've maybe I'm purposely always done temporary jobs in different countries that would just, I don't know how to describe it really. It's just good enough for me where I can do it for a short period of time mm-hmm. and I would never ever live above my means. So that, interestingly, the latest job, latest situation, maybe changed because of COVID is a bit of a curve, I would say the least, but it's, I do live minimally. Like it's, it, people do ask, like, I, I still think I could save more, but I don't have like an expensive car. I don't own a house, uh, but I just yeah. make sure I've got enough to change your mind at any given time. Right. So yeah, once you lock yourself I in, yeah. It's- <laughs> I know. And I live that way now, right? I live so much more simply and I am, I feel so empowered by my money and I use it to make myself happier, to create experiences and to get things that, you know, like really, really add richness to my life, but I'm not just spending on autopilot unconsciously anymore because that was such a waste. Well, the classic midlife crisis, right? Midlife crisis. Why do you think we have this term? I'm I'm convinced a lot of people, I don't know if it's just related to men or women, actually. I don't know if it's biased one way, but I always perceive it as a man in my mind, like they get to 45 and they buy like an expensive car. 
Like, why is that such a thing? And you got to ask the question. They probably look back and they probably just not fulfilled what they wanted to do and just done the social norm of get the job, keep progressing up, get the house, the car. And they yeah. realize, especially if they're not got any kids as well. Oh God, like what have we got to show for it? Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, I think, you know, what I've discovered in my coaching, I think there's something that happens between 35 and 45 for a lot of people, including mm. women. And honestly, especially with kids, but you know, if you've lived those early twenties, late twenties and early mid thirties, going after brass rings that were never really going to fulfill you or that you yeah. thought you were supposed to want. And people told you, once you get those brass rings, once you accomplish that goal, once you get this high on the ladder, happiness, success will just rain down on you. And I think that's the point where people start burning out because they've been chasing that for so long and they have got like no emotional <laughs> sort of fulfillment or exchange out of it that they start mm -hmm. to question, what is it all for? And it's like this halfway point in life where you're like, oh my God, could I do this for the second half of my life? Like yeah. this isn't how I want the rest to go. And so I feel like it's this inflection point right. that people have after, especially if you feel like you've been chasing the wrong goals. Yeah. You probably can't blame yourself sometimes because you're probably just conditioned from uh, high school, college, into university, out oh, post-university yeah. to, you're always told that, you know, get the job, do the career, get the car. Just, there's no other alternative that's ever described to you, right? Absolutely. Or We're back in the teaching. day anyway. I'm not sure now. No, I mean, even now, you know, I think it's it's more, there's more opportunity now and more possibilities, but I think we're not doing like personal development in mm. high school to help people get more in touch with themselves and what they really want. It's like, just go be successful. Here are like the three ways to do that. And so we're like, okay, I guess I'll just do that then, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a good uh, topic of conversation that I think a lot of my listeners would be, I don't know, maybe in the same boat, maybe they're in the same situation or maybe a bit younger and like, oh, do I need to get into that situation? So hopefully that could help a lot of listeners. So you come to decision, you go, okay, $40,000 in a period of time that you saved it. So also alongside that, were you planning um, the actual part of the trip? You know, where you thinking, okay, I need 40 grand. And then you're thinking, well, okay, where do I want to go? What do I want to achieve? Were, were they hand in hand or did you really just focus on the money first? And then when you got to the end, you're like, I'll leave now, then I'll do the trip. How did you figure both things out? Yeah, that's such a great question. So, um, you know, I, as an actuary, love spreadsheets. So I had a whole spreadsheet for my budget and tracking. And so a few months in, it took me about five to six months to get the hang of saving money and to actually yeah. make a dent and like what I was doing. <laughs> but once I saw the money start actually piling up and like start to consistently save, I was like, okay, this is really happening. So for those first five to six months, I would say I was having fun daydreaming. I was thinking about all the places I could go. I was thinking mm. about all the things that I could do. It wasn't a hundred percent travel, but a lot of it was travel related. And so I was having fun with potential itineraries, but also thinking, oh, I could go home for the holidays and I could take a road trip through the US. What friends would I want to visit? And so it was more like the fun dream for the first five-ish five -ish months. And when it got more real, because I saw the money was actually going to happen and I knew it was going to take me about a year, a year more of saving. I started really thinking about what are all the things I need to get in a row. Like I need to think about all those doctor's appointments because I'm not going to have health insurance and I need to mm -hmm. figure out what I'm going to do for health insurance. And I need to think about storage. Am I going to sell my stuff? You know, um, I ended up getting a roommate for a year to save money. 
and make an even bigger impact and get out of my corporate job faster. And so that was actually a good midpoint because it made me get rid of some of the things, some of the furniture and things that mm -hmm. I'd had. And so it was kind of like a, a baby step towards what was ultimately coming. So it was really just preparing in different ways for this trip. But I always, I think I pretty much knew six months in that I wanted to do, again, I was thinking it would be a year because financially that's what I thought, how long my money would last. Yeah. So I was planning a road trip for three months, working out the specifics of that. I was thinking being at home for the holidays for two-ish months and then traveling abroad and kind of putting a vision of what that could be. And then I wanted time to come back to the US, potentially move to a different state and think about what my new career or if I re-entered my old career, like I wanted time to figure out what I was gonna do for income once my break was over. Did you keep this a secret? Oh, no, I no. gave, <laughs> I gave definitely not. I gave eight months notice to my job. So I told them oh, in wow. January, listen, yeah. guys, I'm quitting my job to take a year off and travel around the world. And they were like, uh, what? Okay, that's <laughs> cool, I guess. So they were like, they thought it was a little crazy, but also fun. People were generally supportive. Um, but I also started telling people, and I think, you know, this is something I really preach to my clients, but everybody's, I think a lot of people are afraid. They're afraid to, to share this big goal. They're afraid to be judged. But the coolest thing is that when you start to tell people, you start to inspire other people and they also can become your advocate. They, you know, like one mm -hmm. of my favorite experiences was telling somebody at my job, I did not know him well. I met him once. We talked about a project and he is from Colombia. And so oh. we started talking about Colombia. And then I told him, oh, I'm going on this. I'm going to quit my job in like, you know, eight months and travel around the world. And he was like, are you going to go to Colombia? And I was like, well, I wanted to, but I don't know. And he was like, go to Colombia. My cousin lives there. I'll hook you up with her. My best friend lives in Medellin. I'll give you his number. And like, I ended up staying with his cousin in Bogota yeah, and like awesome. they took me around. And then I went to a barbecue and hung out with like his best friend in Medellin. And so, you know, it's like, but only because I was willing to talk about my break only because mm. I was willing to share my journey and my truth. And I got to be more excited. It started to feel more real, the more people I told. And so I definitely didn't keep it a secret. Okay. Very interesting that. So let's talk about, you got to that point planning your trip, saving your money, and you hand your notice in quite early. Um, you gave him a lot of notice, eight months. Mm -hmm. Real, like, close to the trip. Was there a stressful part because you, you said you uh, you got to sort all this stuff out, healthcare, materialistic things, where you're going to put stuff. I don't know if you owned yeah. a house at that point, you had to sell it or rent it out. Like, was there a point where it got a bit stressful before you left? Of course, yes, mm. of course it did. Um, so I would say... You know, the summer before I left, so I left, I think my last day was like around August the 10th or something like that yeah. in 2013. So I remember that whole summer, basically from the end of May, there was a lot of stress that started creeping in. There was excitement and joy, but I was also about to do this thing I'd been dreaming about for over 18 months. Like, I can't even tell you, right? Like when you're about to have your dream, it is equal parts terrifying and exciting. Mm. And to think like, I'm about to do this. I said I was going to do this. And like, can I back out? Like my job <laughs> knows I'm leaving, you know, you're yeah. just, it's just the fear of the unknown. And so I think there was a stress of like, well, I done did it. I said I was going to do it and now I got to do it. Um, but then there's also the logistics, right? So it is, you know, getting all those last minute doctor's appointments and your dental cleaning, but then also it was a lot around getting rid of my stuff. So, mm. you know, my first job out of college, I was lucky enough to have a great paying job that gave me a relocation bonus. And I had bought furniture and I loved my furniture. It was from nice places. And 
I just remember having emotional attachments to things I did not even know that I had until it was time to really get rid of them. And there were moments, there were things, not everything, but there were things that were hard to get rid of and made me kind of sad. And so it was just saying goodbye to material things that I had become attached to. And that was stressful, you know, as well. Um, And then, you know, just full disclosure, um, it was about a week before my break started. So as you know, I've been planning for over a year for this break. And um, my younger brother very unexpectedly passed away like one week before my break started. And so, I mean, take the stress of that, add the worst event of your whole life. And then you're kind of in a grief fog and sort of still in shock. And so, you know, it was, it was kind of a crap show, like trying to end it all. But luckily, you know, all the, most of the stuff had been sold. All the like hard things had basically been done at that point. So there wasn't a lot that um, I was personally like trying to do by myself, but you know, I had to go through all the feelings um, towards the end of preparing for this break. And, you know, I, have other clients who have lost people or had some health crisis come up, you know, while they were planning for the break about to take the break. And so I think it's really important to know what this experience means to you so that if something life altering happens, you can evaluate, do I want the same kind of break? Do I want a different kind of break? Do I still want to take a break? I think that self-awareness is really important to help you navigate just life doing life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a super sad to hear. So sorry to hear that. Yeah, we had, I had Johnny Bilby come on, who's a, another guest and he traveled throughout the nineties. And he said when his wife unexpectedly uh, died on a trip to the point where around 2000, he finished his decade of trips. He said that was a journey. That was the grief journey. Those things happened, but he kept going back and forth to these different types of trips. But he just admitted that it was finally in the early 2000s. He's like, okay, so that was what that was about. And he wrote some books about it and stuff and had some amazing travel experiences, but always tinged with the sadness, unfortunately. Yeah, same. And I mean, that's life, right? Like, I think life is like that too. So it's just, you know, it's like (laughs) life does. Yeah, I know. Yeah, life's scary, isn't it, sometimes? (laughs) Okay, so you got to that point. So we're going to delve into the trip. And you mentioned your budget. Okay. You saved. You're about to quit your job. Where was the first place you're going to go to? Did you have a plan for the first weeks or months? I did, yes. So the very first order of business was a three-month road trip through the U.S. So that was, it felt like my, um, you know, like hurrah celebratory because it was as much about seeing my favorite old places I hadn't been to in a long time because I'd lived a lot of places in the U.S. by that point. Mm. It was about visiting friends that I hadn't seen in years. Some of them had kids I'd never met. And then it was about visiting all these like new and exciting places like the Grand Canyon that I really wanted to see but never had the time to make the time to see it. So I had a loose itinerary going in my spreadsheet and a Google map (laughs) pinned with like all the places I'd wanted to go. So I kind of knew my itinerary and what was maybe like two weeks in advance, I would email or call my friends that were about two weeks out. And I would say, Hey, this is my journey. This is where I'm coming. Um, I'll be there like Tuesday-ish. Is that cool? Can I stay till Thursday? And be like, yeah, 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 this is amazing. <laughs> and so I kind of had that loosely mapped out for the first three months. Okay. And did you travel around in a camper van or just a car? A Toyota Corolla. So a tiny oh. little car. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. There was no, yeah, there was no sleeping in that car. It was, yeah. I only did um, hotels, Airbnbs or stay with friends. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I thought maybe you might delve into the van life. Yeah, no, no. I'm too I'm too bougie for that. I was like, I have to have like plumbing and stuff, guys. Plumbing, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> I heard that term this year. My friend said, she's from Philippines. Do you like camping? She goes, no, I hate it. I need plumbing. I'm like, That's plumbing? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Never heard That's that before. Though, yeah. <laughs> so this amazing trip, three months in the US, in your own country. Yeah. It's, not, it's a nice start, isn't it? Because it's mm-hmm. very familiar, but you still get a bit of edginess with yep. cultures in the US, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, that was the point. Mix it in, right? I think it was, mm. I looked at it after the fact, and I think it was 65% places I had been and staying with friends. And it was about yeah. 35% new places, staying in a hotel or someplace and just like discovering new parts of the country where I grew up. And what were some of the highlights of that mini Ooh, part of your yeah. trip? Yeah. So um, <laughs> I actually took this trip. I I had a boyfriend. He met me after I'd planned for my break and after I'd started saving. Um, and so the, there were two parts of my break he joined me for. And one was this road trip, which I was very grateful for. Yeah. And he'd never been to the South. And so one of my favorite memories was going to New Orleans with him and introducing him to like yeah. the food down there. And we had the best time eating and the jazz and all of the stuff. So that was a real highlight. But for me, the new stuff, um, there were two things that really stuck out. And that was, I'm not a super nature person. I mean, nature's beautiful. I love to see it, but I don't like go on like day long hikes or anything, Mm. but seeing the natural, the national parks, like the white dunes in New Mexico and the grand Canyon and Bryce Canyon and arches. Oh my goodness. It was to see that the earth could do things like that yeah. and just sort of be that way, it was so incredible. And it's very awe-inspiring. And um, I think it just really gave me perspective about what a tiny, insignificant part of this world I am and yet how beautiful you know, the world can be. And then the other big sort of awesome moment, I'd been to California several times, but we drove all the way up the coast to like Bellingham, Washington, from oh, wow. like Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> but so, it's really close. And it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was so it was so gorgeous, mm. um, that whole drive. And I remember we went to see Hearst Castle, which I'd never heard of oh. before, but it was outside like the Monterey area, I think, in California. Yeah. And it was just it was just this fascinating thing, like all these places I'd never known. And there was so much natural beauty. The Hearst Castle was this glorious old home and um, kind of like a mansion. And they had a recreation that night where people were like staged, not like mannequins, but like dolls, kind of like they were doing things, but just like playing chess quietly. So you could get a feel for what it looked like back wow. in the day. It was yeah. really incredible. Yeah. But those were some of the highlights. Yeah. Our little dream is to get down that coast. So we drive from Vancouver, right? This is what we would like to do and just go down Washington and Portland around the ocean road. It's so freaking keep gorgeous. Going south. Oh, yeah. just, it, it's just something we will definitely do. It's not, it's like, yeah. it's really, I remember stopping the car a couple of times just to be like, is this real? Yeah. <laughs> is this real? I want to go see the trees. I want to go see the coast. Mm-hmm. Oregon's an amazing state. Yeah. That whole West coast is dreamy. There's a reason people go there and put it on Instagram and TikTok, right? Because I know they can, that can sway uh, what a place looks like, but it's no yeah. coincidence that they're all trying to go to California or at least the West coast mm-hmm. because top to bottom is very different, isn't it? Yeah. The, the lush green of, of Washington state down to the, San Diego, which is like yeah. very almost desert-like. Yeah. Very interesting, but you can do that in a couple of days and you, you see all these different amazing things. I know. And the redwoods. I mean, it's just oh. like, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the three months in the US. So what was the plan after that? Because obviously, I'm not, I'm not saying that's easy, but same country. So you must have <laughs> a plan to leave US 
And where yeah. are you exiting from? Where, where are you going to? Or what was the next few months? Yeah. After? Yeah. So the road trip was like delicately timed because the U.S. is huge. And so yeah. we were ending like Montana, North Dakota. I was dropping him off in Minnesota with his family. And we were chasing like we, we were trying to avoid winter storms. So I remember <laughs> yeah. there was this like gigantic because this was about uh, we started in like early September. So I think this was like November ish coming into December. And so we were like trying to avoid like these massive snows in Montana. It was like really scary. I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to get south. I got to get south. Um, but like, I, you know, I ended up surviving in my little Corolla, but um, I was coming home for the holidays. So, you know, it was heading into December and my brother, you know, just passed away a few months mm. before. So it was our first Christmas without him. And so I wanted to be home and be present for my family, especially my mom for a few months. And so I knew I was going to go home. I thought two to three months. And once I got home, I basically didn't have anything to do. So that's when I started planning more tactically the international part of my trip. And through looking at flights and thinking about the map and just sort of seasons and like, what is shoulder season? When is it warm? When is it too rainy? I decided to fly from Washington, D.C., which was like a five hour bus ride from where my mom lives, where mm -hmm. I grew up. And I flew direct from D.C. to Medellin. And that was my first sort of stop in the official beginning of the international part of my trip. Got it. So we're going to obviously cover some of that trip. I think it's impossible to cover all of it. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, just before we carry on with the details of some countries that we've got listed here, was there always in your mind one year? Was that just set for like this whole trip? Was there any part of you thinking, well, I could maybe extend it? Was that ever in your Ooh. thoughts? Yeah. So it was a dream I had, but when I started, I thought there's no way this money is going to yeah. last okay. longer than that. It just felt impossible, but it was a dream. And then I think it was at the end of my road trip where I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then it was like two more months at home. And I was like, mm. okay, I'm going to do this indefinitely because, <laughs> you know, like things are happening, but then there's still this huge question of what happens abroad, which is where the mass, yeah. you know, like the, the massive amount of money was going to go. <laughs> So I think that was still a question mark, but every, you know, every month as I kept traveling, it just, I was spending less, most months I was spending less than I'd anticipated. And so at the point where I realized this money isn't going as fast, I was like, I'm just going to ride this out until I go broke. And if it's 12 months, great. If it's four <laughs> years, awesome. I'm just going to see how this goes. Yep. Same mentality as me. I think also yeah. you realize that when you travel, the dream scenario is you do spend less. Um, but maybe that's because you came from such a corporate environment where I guess, you know, the typical thinking is, oh, you spend lots of money, you buy loads of things, not the cheapest things, you buy expensive things. But now you're traveling like, well, I don't need to buy those things anymore. You just buy your food and you pay for a few things like here and there. You really do save some money. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I was willing to make trade-offs, right? So there were yeah. times where I stayed in a nice hotel. And then there were times where I stayed in the hostel and it was the willingness to, to mix it up um, and make my money go further, you know? Okay. And just quickly, were you traveling on your own on the international portion? Yes. I traveled on my own, except for when I moved to um, Argentina for a month, I lived in Buenos Aires. I rented an Airbnb for a month. Mm. My boyfriend at the time was able to come down and um, be there with me for that month. So that was really fun. But the rest of the international trip was me solo. Cool. That's great. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I'm getting yeah. more solo travelers on my podcast is great to hear yeah. so let's talk about Medellin because it is rising in the digital nomad mm -hmm. community I think and also yeah. for travelers did you love the place as soon as you arrived what was your first thoughts oh my god <laughs> well <laughs> my third my first thought so keep in mind 
I've never like <laughs> been to Colombia. I never traveled abroad alone. Like I did do yeah. um, a semester in Barcelona in my MBA program, which was fantastic. But I was yeah. basically with a bunch of other students and mostly traveled with people when I would go abroad. Um, so this was a big deal. And I remember I arrived at like 930 at night into oh. Medellin and it's Colombia. Like, you know, I'd heard such a mixed, you know, bag of things about it and people were like oh it's Colombia and so I just remember like descending in darkness being like I hope my cab driver doesn't try to murder me and I was just like so nervous and I was like why am I doing this who thought this was a good idea this is a terrible idea this is a terrible idea Katrina you're gonna get us killed and like I just freaked out a little bit on the plane but then I landed my cab driver was waiting for me and we went to the hostel and I actually didn't have any cash and there wasn't an ATM near the hostel. And he was so kind. He was like, don't worry about it. I know where you're staying. I'll come back tomorrow and you can just pay me then. And I was like, really? Oh, Thank wow. you so much. Yeah, it was so nice. And so that was like my first impression. And I was like, I think this is going to be okay. Um, and then I checked into my hostel. And so, you know, my first few days in Medellin, I was like nervous because it was my yeah, yeah. like big yeah. abroad adventure. It's mm. Colombia, all the stigma, but the longer I was there, the more I was just like, this is a really cool city. I mean, this was back in like 2013. It's yeah. changed so much, so much. I mean, it was not like the hot spot that it is now for nomads and travelers, mm. um, but it was still so cool. And I remember taking a history tour um, and just like learning so much about the culture and the people. And my old coworker had connected me with his best friend oh, who course. invited me over to that family. Yeah. They did a family picnic at his parents' condo and they like the amount of food. Oh my gosh. But like the amount <laughs> of meat and meat and corn, but it was really, really good. And so it was the people. That was one of the things that struck me. Um, you know, the people were so freaking friendly. It was like, wow, this is really cool. So I really enjoyed uh, Medellin, my time in Medellin. Awesome. Any culture shock? A tiny bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it was just more just being outside of my comfort zone yeah. as a solo traveler shock, like things just felt different, right? Like you're mm. just trying to figure it out as you go along. I was only there for maybe five days. Um, so it wasn't like long enough to really like feel like I was a part of the community or anything. Mm -hmm. But um, when I went to, I think I left Medellin and went to Cartagena. Oh, yeah. and that I felt like more contrast in the culture. I don't know why it just they have a have a very Caribbean vibe there mixed yeah. with like Colombia. It's like a very interesting place. Um, but that was so glorious. I love Cartagena. I hope to go back someday. It was fantastic. So yeah. Awesome. Okay. And for Colombia, it's on my hit list. I've not been, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. It's, it's immediately on the hit list, I think, like top three. But I think nice. as a country, you know, they had so many problems previously. I can't speak from obviously, but I imagine right now they're just a bit, as a whole generation, tired from that whole episode of yeah, drugs so. and Escobar, etc. Now they're just yeah. trying to do things a little bit more normally and just live a life where it's not constantly in fear. So I think I'm not surprised that you probably got this amazing hospitality in Colombia because what's the first thing they need if they want to change is people to come and visit, right? Um, it starts with that. So I imagine that the, the people are amazing. Yeah, and they just seem like a very, I don't know, like they seem so just friendly, you know? Like I think they definitely love like, you know, want to embrace people coming. But it was just like a, gen a genuine, I remember my taxi driver, um, I was like trying to find my cash going to the airport in Cartagena. And he was like, don't worry about it. Like it's only, it's only $5 anyway, you know, whatever it was like five us. And he was like, yeah. it's fine. If you can't find your cash, I was like, Oh my God. And I, I mean, I found it. I, yeah, I yeah. was like, you need to take this money. But, um, but they were just so supportive and just so kind and very laid back. It was like very chill. Over there. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay, so you spent a bit of time in Colombia. Was there any more highlights mm -hmm. in that country before we move on? Um, I mean, Cartagena was like, wow. I did a food tour there yeah. and um, got to explore like two of the different neighborhoods. And I ate fruit I've never heard of. I did not know there were that many kinds of fruit. Like there's like Lulo and Nespero. And I was like, what is all this stuff? And <laughs> yeah. you just buy it at the stand for like a dollar and you make up stuff for smoothies that you want. It was incredible. So that was a really fun experience. Um, and then Bogota was Bogota. Like it's a, it's a big city. In Central I city, huh? um, got, yeah. And I was staying with my coworkers family yeah. out in the suburbs and I discovered I've seen traffic. Like I've never seen before when I was in Bogota, I've, right. it took us two and a half hours to go the distance of what should have taken us about 30 minutes Wow! and it blew my mind. It like mm. people have like, there were license plates and I guess certain License plates that end in certain numbers can't be on the road on certain oh, days of the week. Okay. It yeah, was like, yeah, it was like, wow. And so that was just, I mean, talk about culture shock too there. It's just like learning how all these people in, you know, parts of the world, like navigate and create society and how they make it work with all these people. And so it was really interesting, but I didn't feel as at home there. I mean, it definitely has like city, like big city vibe and, yeah. you know, be more cautious and things, but, um, but I really loved you know, exploring it, I would definitely go back. Um, but it was a really, yeah, it was a really interesting place. Okay. And I'm thinking here, I might work our way down to Buenos Aires because you stayed there for a month. How long was your stint in Colombia and where is next? Two and a half weeks. Yeah. Um, and I flew, I think, whatever, I forget what their intra-country, like national airline is, but I just flew that for really cheap flights. And then I flew directly from Bogota down to Buenos Aires. Oh, yeah. Still a longer flight than I thought it would be. <laughs> and I actually, this was so sad. I had some type of like food poisoning or some massive wave of like digestive sickness the right. day before I was supposed to leave. And I remember basically crawling to the airport. Like the family <laughs> I was with was like <laughs> trying to convince me to go to the doctor instead of like getting on the flight. They were worried I was going to die. And I was like, no, no, it's fine. I just need a shower. It's good. I got this. <laughs> And I just tried to hold it together and I, I made it. I made it in one piece, but um, yeah. I was so excited to be there. And after like another day of rest, I felt great. But yeah, that was like a dream come true. I'd been wanting to see Argentina in person for like a decade at that point. And so it was incredible to be there. You kind of got an Airbnb, right? Just to stay for a month? Yeah, I just booked an Airbnb online. It was like $525 for the month. It was in a nice oh, wow. area of the city. Yeah. And I was like, okay, we're just gonna, we're just gonna wing it. And <laughs> I showed up and he was really nice. And he met me um, by the apartment. It was really yeah. late. You know, it was like 930 or something. And he walked me around to, he gave me some cash and he was like, you can pay me back, you know, cause I didn't have any cash to do anything. Right. And so he gave me like a little bit of cash. And he was like, you know, tomorrow I'll show you. Cause at the time they had the blue market, which is like kind of illegal, but kind of yeah. not. And so he like helped me figure that out. But um, yeah, and then I was like, okay, I'm doing this. And so I was on this big adventure in Buenos Aires. And um, my host, one of the coolest things that is one of the saddest things, my host worked for a company that somehow dealt with Bitcoin. And this is back in 2013, oh. uh, 2014. God, if anyone knew then. <laughs> right? And he told me like 45 times. Like, oh, I no. lived in his place for a month. And he was like, Katrina, start get <laughs> Bitcoin. And I was like, it's a scam. I'm not, oh, no. I'm not falling for that. And he was like, get some Bitcoin. And my, my, you know, my then boyfriend was living there too. And, and he would tell us both get Bitcoin. And I remember we had a conversation where we we're like, it's like $500. Like, should we really get Bitcoin? Like, like, would we spend $500 on Bitcoin? 
I want to like punch myself in the face now, but, um, <laughs> but that could have been one of the coolest travel stories ever is that I discovered yeah. Bitcoin at $500 because my Airbnb host told me to get it. And yeah. now I'm a millionaire. <laughs> Slightly devastating that there's people who listen probably, well, I was one of those who did invest and were hey, and there's people who like you just said, nah. Yeah. I was like, it's a scam. I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah. but, but the schemes right now that we've been told that you think, nah, it's a scam, but they might do the same thing. I know. It, how true. do you know? You just never know. <laughs> <laughs> I just never know. Oh, anyway, any plans for Buenos Aires? Like a bit of tango, a bit of coffee, a bit of food, just to immerse yourself in local culture. Is that the idea? Yeah. So the idea was live there for a month. I wanted to take like a week of Spanish lessons. Yes. Um, the true story is that I started and after two days I quit. I do speak some Spanish, but I got so frustrated with their accent. I was like, uh, I couldn't. They speak really fast as well. Sh- yeah, they speak fast and there's sort of this, you know, and so like Calle is Cache. And it's like, I couldn't, my brain was like, no, I can't do it. And so I just, I just didn't appear. Like I paid for the week and I just stopped coming. Right. Um, so that plan kind of got like X'd out, but I wanted to see Evita's, um, you know, like the, the mausoleum, the area where she was buried in the Recoleta cemetery. I wanted to eat some great food. Mm. I wanted to basically feel like when I left, I really knew that city. And so I would pick one thing every day that I wanted to go see or wanted to go do or wanted to go eat. And then I would let the day unfold from there. And I got to know all the neighborhood. I mean, it was really amazing. And there's so much variation in the city. And so my goal was to leave there feeling like if somebody asked me about Buenos Aires, I could be like, yeah, I really felt like I got to know that city. Yeah, that's the kind of the the thinking behind my thought about staying somewhere for a month, Uh, at least two or three weeks, just to get yourself in there. Yeah. It's like to live like a local, right? Because you don't yeah. get that popping in for a weekend, right? No, you don't. And it's just, it's magical. And you get to find like a favorite coffee shop or a yeah. favorite restaurant or have a conversation with strangers in the park. And you just open yourself up to really, you know, like create these memories that I think you don't get as a tourist, like hurrying through all the must do things, you know? Did you find like a little local cafe that you go to most mornings or? Yeah, I did. So, um, there was the bakery around the corner. I actually have a gluten allergy, but my uh, my then boyfriend did not. <laughs> he would yeah. eat all the pastries, and I was so freaking jealous. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. But like, there was like a little coffee shop that uh, I would drink a cappuccino every once in a while in the corner, and it was so lovely. Yeah. And then I discovered like my favorite restaurant. We went um, we went there like two times, and it was so fantastic mm. and so delicious. And I actually went back to Argentina, went back to Buenos Aires four years later. And I went back to that restaurant like two oh. or three times. So it was really, uh, it was really fun just to have some favorite places. And there was like a favorite clothing shop and, you know, just like, you're just, you get so excited. You're like, Oh, I remember this. This is like my spot. Oh, that's awesome. Makes me feel like I want to go. And also yeah. I've got a sister podcast with coffee. So I have like a YouTube channel for trendy coffees. And the idea is internationally, when I'm away, I want to showcase some coffees that we go for. Oh. Um, so because I don't know if you, I'll probably come towards the end of this, this section about asking this, but I never really recorded much, maybe on social media, but like never written anything down, didn't have like a podcast or recording thing on. So a lot mm-hmm. of places that I've been to have not recorded. I was like, right, no, this time I've got a podcast that, and I'm going to do a coffee YouTube so cool. channel. So I know what cafe I was in in one of those areas and I know what it tasted like. That is so cool. I yeah. love that. Yeah. yeah. I'm not so good at recording things either. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a must. Yeah. So Buenos Aires, brilliant living lifestyle, quite European, I think. I've not been, but that's what I've been yeah. told. Super um, late food. That was the hardest uh, okay. part. Honestly, that was, oh my gosh. I remember going to a restaurant at 825 
being like, I'm going to die if I don't eat. And we like push our little faces up against the window and the chairs were still on the table. And they were like, come back at nine. And I was like, animals, you can't eat at nine. Please at nine. This is inhumane. But, um, you know, when we would go out to eat, if you went out before eight 30 or nine, you were eating with the tourists because the locals yeah, were eating at like nine or nine 30. And yeah. I lived in Spain for, you know, like six months. And I thought Argentina was even a little bit more intense with their zeal for like starting really late. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Spaniards definitely go late, but I, I swear in my, in my experience, Argentina was even later. And I remember one night I got invited to a house party by somebody I got connected through with an old work contact and he was super friendly and he came and picked us up and it started at like, you know, like eight, which I was like, Oh, this is great. Like this is early. This is fantastic. And I hung tight until maybe like 1am. And I was like, I am so awesome. I'm not like a boring American. I'm up at (laughs) 1am. I'm hanging tough. And I remember like food was finally over, like all the things are finally over. And I was like, standing up to leave and they're like great now we get to start the part and they were bringing out poker and i was like i have to go home (laughs) you guys can't i can't stay up this late and we were like the only two to leave everybody else was like just getting their night started i was like i cannot hang wow different culture in it yeah very different yeah Yeah, it's weird in europe because it goes from like northern europe so like scandinavian countries and us to very like not say normal but eat dinner it's five or six or seven that's it yeah then you go south and it's like italians and the the, the southern French and the Spanish and the Portuguese are eating late. It's like, oh, bloody hell. Yes. Can't it's keep so track. true. I know. Yeah. It's so true. I remember in Austria, it was like things were like closing at like seven. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's <laughs> yeah. happening here. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Did you have any plans, other plans for Argentina, like Patagonia or anything like that, or any cities in the north? Um, I did not. So we thought about maybe going to Iguazu Falls, but yeah. it ended up being really expensive if you didn't plan it in advance because you fly and it was just like a lot. Um, but we did do a week in Mendoza, which oh. was really pretty to go out and see Mendoza. And, wine uh, region? It, yeah, exactly. Wine region. Yeah. And so it was like a long, man, Argentina is so gigantic. Huge. We did the bus and it was like a 12 hour overnight bus ride to get to Mendoza. Mm. Yeah. Great buses in Argentina, though. I, I yeah, do remember. they were good. Cold, yeah. but good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but comfortable. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, so Mendoza and... Yeah, I went from Buenos Aires. I flew from that airport directly to Barcelona on an Iberia flight. And so I went back to my old stomping ground at that point. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of a, a headquarters for like where I started. And then I went through a couple of places in Spain um, that I hadn't been, mainly San Sebastian, because I was like, I'm going to eat uh, all the food because yeah. I've never made it. And then I popped into France through Bordeaux, down to Montpellier, and then into Avignon. Okay, and that's the start of your European portion of the trip. Yes. Okay, we've got some countries listed here for mm-hmm. Europe. So you've got here Italy, Greece, and France. So maybe let's start with France, just by geography. So you popped into France, and did you stick to the southern part of France? Is that the yes, idea? Yes, I did. So I did go back to Paris. I'd been to Paris once, so I yeah. did end up going back to Paris, um, which I was not expecting. But the interesting part about France, so I have a gluten allergy. So yes. I started in Bordeaux. I came through San Sebastian into Bordeaux and it was really nice, but it was kind of tough to eat and to eat safely. And then I went down to Montpellier, which was this beautiful, sunny, like colorful town. And I was like, this is so gorgeous. I struggled so hard to eat. I remember there was this one day where I just mentally snapped. It was like, I had really struggled to like eat things and I was starving and I was so hungry and I couldn't find anything safe to eat. And I decided to go spend a lot of money on like a nice dinner out on like the plaza. And I was like, 
I'm just going to do my best to eat. Mm. And I ordered this three course meal and it was like the salad was like a goat cheese salad. And then there was like a pepper steak. And then there was like um, creme brulee. And I was like, mm. all of this stuff has got to be good for me. It's none <laughs> of, no gluten, no gluten. And the cheese came embedded and smashed into like a piece of toast. And then the pepper steak had like this flour gravy on top of it, like oh. all over. And then they stuck a freaking like biscotti in the middle of the creme brulee. And I just started crying at dinner and I couldn't eat anything. I was like, I can't eat <laughs> and I was like, I have to get out of here. I have to leave France. I hate France. I got to get out of France. But I had just booked a one week Airbnb in Avignon and I was going to lose a lot of money. And I was like crying and I was like mm. hungry and hangry. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Avignon because I've paid all this money. And if I hate it, I will just go to Paris. I will catch a flight. I will leave. I'll go somewhere just where I know I can eat. And I will like yeah. get the heck out of here. And I went to Avignon and I emailed the woman um, that did food tours like the day before I arrived and said, I have a gluten allergy. I'm struggling to eat. Like, can you cater to that? Can you take me on a food tour. And so she got me in on the second day I was there and she took me to all these places. And she had friends that were like chefs at the restaurant and they like knew how to cater to that. And she could explain it to them. And I found the best food and it was safe for me to eat and like even gluten-free muffins. And I stayed there for two weeks. I couldn't, I didn't want to wow. leave. It was so fantastic. Yeah. The food was so amazing. And it was like the best experience ever. I'm so glad I didn't quit. And this is a classic example of mediums long-term travel where imagine you're doing like just a vacation like that's going to ruin your vacation and you have to go yes. home so like the, the, the advantages of your trip here is that you can just go okay I'll, I'll try Avignon see if it works and it did just say two weeks and you can just like enjoy that part of France and it didn't like tinge France with a bit of sadness yes you're right that is so so true that's a very good point and Avignon what, what's the, I don't know much about it if I'm honest like what is that known for what was the place like Oh, I love it so much. Um, so it's in Provence, right? It's one of the major yeah. towns in Provence. And I learned about it through a book uh, because I'm obsessed with food. So A Year in Provence by Peter Mayle. And he writes about all the food he ate while he was living in Provence. Mm. And so I wanted to go there to eat. It's known for its food, but it's very um, sort of like idyllic farm countryside. The lavender fields by the Abbey are like down in that region that you sometimes see pictures of. And so it's like perfume oils and things like that. And so it's supposed to be this like very sort of bucolic, beautiful rolling hills, mountain, like, like not mountains, but like hills and sort of these villages, some of them sort of medieval in a way with the castles and stuff. And um, Avignon has like an intact wall around the city. Oh, wow. And okay. the papacy actually was there for like 80 years. I think there was a French pope that moved it from the Vatican, like Vatican City or whatever. He moved it from Italy to France for 80 years. So they have okay. like, you can go visit that place. And so mm. um, there's a lot of history there, but it's just this beautiful town that has a lot of historic ruins in it that you can see and kind of feel like you're back in like <laughs> older times. Yeah. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. That's a good place to discuss. I've not had that before, Avignon. So I'll get yeah. people to check that out. And then yeah. what was uh, next after that? You leave France and where'd you go to, I guess, Italy? Yeah, I went, yeah. I went to France. Yep. I went to France. Yeah. Um, I mean, I went to Paris, sorry, uh, to catch my bus to Turin. So I, oh, sure in. Oh, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I took this long bus. I got to go through the Alps at some point, which was yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, and I ended up in Turin and that was 
ridiculously one of the most scary moments because, you know, I don't speak Italian. I speak some Spanish, but in Turin where they dropped me off because it's not a big city. I was on this Mm. random bus. They dropped me off outside the town and I have no idea where I'm at. I don't have a phone with like GPS. I'm like, I have no map. I don't speak Italian. I just have my bags and I'm standing at this. It was not even a bus station. It was just like a little building that was closed for the day. And I was like, how the F do I get <laughs> to where I'm going? I was like so nervous and I couldn't. And I, I sat there just walking in circles for like 20 minutes, freaking out and being like, I'm going to die right here on the street. Like, I'm just going to die. That's what my brain was like. You're going to die. You're going to die. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I couldn't talk to people. And so I finally was like, okay, commit to a distance that you're going to walk for a certain amount of time and just go walk and try to find someone. And I knew that like, there were tobacco shops that sold tickets to like buses and things. So I was like, maybe I'll find a tobacco shop. Maybe I'll find a kiosk. And yeah. I walked for like eight minutes and I found this little person with a kiosk, like a little kiosk. Mm. And I went up there and they didn't speak any English. And so I was just like, and I was like, Mappa, Mappa. And I was like <laughs> trying to do like all the hand signs, you know, and then they like sold me a map. And so then once I had the map, I could orient with like where I needed to yes. walk to get into town. And then it was all good. But I was so scared. I was just like, I don't know how I get, I didn't even know which way the city was. I was like, I don't know where I'm at. Like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. I've heard so many stories like that, where you just get that situation where you need to figure something out. It's almost a fun part of traveling because you've got a story from it, right? Some people yeah. would probably fear that a little bit, but you've got to embrace, just rationally think, right, okay, we can figure this out. Yeah. But it's like so scary. And then to your point, when you live through it, I think it builds confidence that when you're in an unfamiliar situation, you're like, oh, that's right. Like I can figure this out. I just have to to figure out my next right step. You got from arriving somewhere with no map, no phone is back in the day, I guess, no phone, no map, no language skills for that country to get into your place. So you were successful. Yeah. 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 And just like very quickly, actually, before we carry on back in those days, 2013, when yeah. I was traveling, I had no phone because it wasn't really a thing. Not as big as it is now. Yeah, it wasn't. And, you know, I think I did have a phone that that would do Wi-Fi in the hotel. So, like, when I was in my Airbnb uh, okay. or when I was in a hostel, I had, like, an old phone to turn on, like, instead of my laptop. But there was no data. There was no, like, GPS working. Like, it could only be used to check email, like, in yeah. the hostel from my bed or in the hotel from my bed when I could have the free Wi-Fi. Yeah. It was not It was not a thing. And there weren't all the apps and stuff to be doing as many things. So, yeah, it was not, like, a thing. Yeah. Okay. Did you find that because of that, very quickly, just a little, little tangent here. Yeah. From traveling now or later when you did have a smartphone mm-hmm. where it's a bit more easier to get internet and GPS on your phone, did you see a significant change in the type of travel that you did? Yeah. Or was um, it easier maybe or harder? I don't know. It's so, it's so much easier mm. with the phone now. Like the phone does, I mean, the phone has freaking Google Translate by voice. I mean, I there's know. literally nothing that your phone can't do, but I really liked after that terrifying experience but like you know I really liked who I was figuring things out and just being really present and not defaulting because I think one one negative thing that happens with our phones is that we can live our old life in a new place we can feel super comfortable we can do all the things the way we did it's just like we're doing it with a slightly different cuisine and like different accents going on in the background but we're not really switching up our lives or getting outside of our comfort zone in the same way you know I try to use my phone less I try to just ask people when I'm lost I still try to have a map like it's just for me I just want to be present to where I Mm. am. And I really want to try to understand what it's like to be in that city or in that country. And so I tried not to be um, dependent on my phone. I definitely use it because it's convenient, but I try not to be dependent on it. I try not to use it 
when I'm going out in ways that I normally would at home. And it definitely, I think it definitely does make things easier, but I also think sometimes to a detriment. Yeah. I saw a sign in Iceland once that said outside a hostel that all traveling is these days is people being on their phones in a different country. I was like, Oh my God, that's that's, that's, that's such a, 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 it's kind of true, but like, Oh, is it? Maybe maybe it's true. And it's like kind of sad a little bit. Yeah, I think so. But it's all good. We can like put our phones down sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, so Italy, what was the highlights for you or what was the plan? Oh, quick, uh, first of all, Turin, yes. I've been there. Not many people I've known have, have actually been. And what I found in Turin is, this is very early in my travel days. Okay. This is, I was 17, I went there, I think. Oh, wow, wow. I found that people didn't speak English in Turin. wasn't oh. very touristy. Yeah. I only went there because the Italian job was filmed there. And uh, they've got a big football stadium there as well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is this place? I, I found it really hard to... Yeah. grasp at 17 that I couldn't even speak English to anyone so loved it but challenging so challenging yeah I would agree uh I had amazing um gelato there and my Airbnb host she was awesome so she lived in the um apartment and she had like a spare bedroom bathroom situation um she was super awesome and she made her own like limoncello and she would give me some mm. and she had her friend over so I had like this little pocket of English speaking like help me understand the culture and the place but out in the world in Turin there was not a lot of English other than like making an order at a restaurant or whatever, just, you know, like pointing to things, but, um, it was, it was hard to navigate and it was not touristy at all. Like they're really, it was just a bunch of locals hanging out. Um, so yeah. it was really cool to see Italian culture in that way, but it definitely wasn't like a tourist hotspot by <laughs> any means. Okay. And Italy, what was the plan for Italy? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So my mom is Italian American. So I yeah. was so excited to be, Italy for the first time. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to go see my roots and it's going to be great. I'm going to see where I'm from. I mean, I rode the bus into Turin and then I think I flew from Turin or maybe I took the train. I can't remember into Rome. And I met a friend in Rome and I was so excited to be in Rome. I was like, Oh my God, this is here. It's happening. I'm in Rome. (laughs) And then my mom got really sick and she actually had to go to the ICU. And I remember thinking like, Oh my gosh, like I'm all the way across the world. Like, I don't want to have to go home, but like, I don't know what's happening. Mm. And so I stayed in Rome with my friend for four days. It was over like her her Labor Day weekend. And I remember telling my mom, if you don't get out, like if you go back to the hospital, I will come home. And she ended up getting sick again. So I dropped everything. Thank God for points and miles. I got a one-way ticket and I flew from Rome back home to go basically take care of her for six weeks while they figured out what was going on with her. Mm. And at that point, um, I had booked a yoga teacher training in, um, in Bali and okay. I knew that I needed to get to Southeast Asia. So I like heartbreaking, heartbreakingly missed that month in Italy, but I did, um, make up for it when I took my second sort of mini career break. And yeah. I started, I got to see so much of that country and that was a hundred percent winging it adventure. I never knew where I was going until the day before it was, I decided oh, it was awesome. time to leave. And I just got to see so much of the country. And, you know, I went to places like Genoa, which aren't like huge, you know, hugely well known. And then, of course, I was in Rome and, you know, I've been to Venice and seen the big things. But sometimes seeing those smaller places, I stayed in La Spezia, which is south of the Cinque Terre. Like it was so it was so magical. So um, I had a really amazing experience there. Okay, did you go to San Marino randomly? No, I did not. Um, Uh, Is that? Next to Rimini, if you went there. Yeah. Okay. No, I didn't. I haven't made it over there. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Italy as a whole. I mean, that is a trip in itself. I, yes. It's one of those countries that routinely gets mentioned as like, what well, I would go there just to do Italy. Like all north and south, all different foods, 
the mini cultures in Italy are just being yeah, and the history, right? Like history, yeah. Venice yeah. was its own place. Genoa was its own place. Like it yeah. was existing as its own entity before Italy was like a formally a country. And it's just like, and then there's Rome, and so I mean, yeah, it's like there's so much history there, so many different cuisines, so many. Yeah, it's just like, oh, you got to go slow. And what's your favorite Italian dish when you're there? Oh, <laughs> oh, was uh, was the gluten thing a problem? Oh my gosh. One of my top three gluten-free countries, Italy, oh, they okay. understand it's crazy, but they understand celiac and gluten-free yeah. living. I, and they test children. Actually, it's like a public service that they do. They test children for celiac. And so they're very, very aware, I think because they have so much gluten in their food. And so yes. I've had the best pizza, the best pasta, the best pastries, because when they make food, they make it good. Yeah. Um, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of my favorite things I was in Naples and I had this like warmed croissant with like pistachio cream stuffed inside. It was like, Oh my God. I went back multiple days. I was like, just give me one of those. I was like, <laughs> I was like addicted. I was like, just give me one. Just give me one now. It was so good. It was so good. <laughs> okay. I've got here for Europe, Greece. Oh yes. Okay. So Greece blew my mind. Greece happened on my second career break. So, okay. um, I had two and a half months in Europe. I bought a one-way ticket into London yeah. and I had no idea where I was going to go. And that's where Italy happened. That's where Greece happened. And I also got to see Budapest, which was amazing. Mm. But wow, Greece, I, I just didn't know. I went to Athens on a one-way ticket and I thought I'll be in Athens for two or three days. And then maybe I'll try to go to an Island or something Yeah, because I, I'd heard like Athens is fine, but like pass through it in a day or two, you've seen it all. It's kind of dirty, whatever is what I'd heard. Yeah. And I got there and it was like, I could not leave. I, the food, the people, I mean, you're having a drink looking out at the freaking Acropolis. Like the Parthenon <laughs> yeah. is yeah. in your view. I'm Incredible. like, what is, yeah, what is this world? <laughs> and the food was so good and it's a city and it's like, yeah, it's a little grimy, but it's like real and it's like people and things and it's busy and there's a market. And it was, I did a food tour there too. It was so incredible. And, um, the owner of the hostel that I stayed at was a super friendly, awesome guy. And it was this really like upscale sort of like brand new hostel. And we sort of made friends with him. I made friends with a girl in my hostel um, with, in my room that became friends with him. And he drove us to Sunyon, which is like at the bottom, like at the tip where the Poseidon's temple is. Mm -hmm. And we got to see sunset at Sunyon, like driven by the hostel driver because he had a condo nearby. He had to go clean some stuff out. And he's like, I'll just drop you guys off and then we'll go to <laughs> dinner. And then we went to dinner at some Greek restaurant on the way back home. And it was like, I never want to leave. <laughs> I, I love it here. I just love it here so much. It was so incredible. I stayed for eight days. The dream. I think yeah. Greece is slightly the dream, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And I think there's so many islands as well, isn't there? So like, many. It's quite overwhelming actually where to, where to go. Yeah, it is. I actually did. I made time to go to Crete and, oh, um, yeah. but even Crete. Cretans. Crete. Yeah. They're interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole different, it's a whole yeah. different thing. And you think like Crete's this tiny island. No, I Jeez. was on one end and it was too far to get to the other end. I only got to know this tiny part of Crete. So yeah, it was really, it was really cool. And did you visit anywhere else um, apart from Crete and Athens? No. So I had to get back to Barcelona for a 14 day transatlantic cruise. It was the nomad cruise with a okay. bunch of other digital nomads. And so the, the cruise was leaving and yeah. it was like, I had like one day, I had like two days to get back. And I was like, I got to leave. I got to leave. Yeah. But I did yeah. not want to leave. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think there's a, there's a beauty in that, that you want to go back. Right. Yeah. I think both ways are fine. If you leave somewhere, you think, oh, do you know what? I've, in my mind, I've completed this. 
that's that's a nice feeling but there's also feeling like want to come back that's that's quite good as well yeah and that's the thing about you know creating a life where you have more freedom and where Mm -hmm. travel is is a reality not this aspirational thing you get to do for five days once a year or you know like maybe twice a year so for me it's like a joy to your point to be like I loved Greece so much. I want to go back and see Thessaloniki. I want to see yeah. Mykonos. I yeah. want to, you know, I want to see Athens again. And so it's heartwarming to know there are places that I can revisit that I know I love and there's still more to see, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the way to be. I've got Vietnam on the list here, but you have mentioned yes. Southeast Asia. So you mentioned Bali a minute ago. I didn't like Bali, by the way. So I'm not a Bali. Bali was like okay it. for me. I did a yoga teacher training there, but I, I was surprised that it didn't wow me more. Yeah, yeah I, that's I just, exactly the thing I had. The most underwhelming experience, but the most expectation of anywhere I was going on my trip. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bali is going to be you... this amazing idyllic place. It's going to be like yeah. all these beaches and all this sort of stuff. And I got there, I was like, oh, it's totally not what has been described. Well, yeah, I I really, yeah, I felt similarly, I think slightly different, but, you know, I didn't have a lot of knowledge of Bali, but I just remember thinking this is going to be a highlight of my trip. Like, this is going to be amazing. Mm. And, you know, even something as simple as food. So, you know, I do food tours in a lot of places, partly because I love learning the culture and food is such a, a deep foundational part of many cultures that you learn a lot about the history of a place just by taking a food tour. And I remember struggling to even find like Indonesian food to eat because yeah. in the places I was in, it was like, it basically was like, Hey, Westerners come to this place and pretend you're in a different country, but have it just be really luxurious, like hotels and resorts and beaches. And you can just be comfortable the way you are at your home. And so I just was like, I don't know where I am, but I don't feel it's like, it was a weird feeling. Yeah. And I found back in 2013. So when I went super busy, Mm-hmm. Now it must be more busy because all the digital nomads that you read about, like, oh, I'm yes. in Bali. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Yeah, I'm like, I don't think I will ever go back to Bali. I would go back to other parts of Indonesia, but not Bali. Yeah, I think Indonesia, when someone says I'm going there, I'm like, oh, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Bali. I'm like, so many other places that surely you want to go and check out that's more mm-hmm. authentic. Yeah. Um, I think I'm sure Bali's got some good points, but I think the Bali phase would have been great in the 90s or 2000s. Yeah, I think now it's it's really nice. It's it's a classic, like on Instagram, whatever, or TikTok, where it's Instagram versus reality, right? Where yes, you see Instagram yes. is this amazing place, but reality is it's got like hundred people there. Um, yeah. and it's across the island. I don't think there's any hidden places there anymore. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, Indonesia is a huge country, and I can't wait to go back. But definitely not back to Bali. I want to check out all the other islands, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's just interesting contrast because I felt like Vietnam was the inverse of that. Yeah. So what was Vietnam like? So were you going there with no expectations? Yeah. Oh my God. I was going there with fear and no expectations. So Vietnam, yeah. Vietnam was like the one place I was very iffy about. I didn't plan it in advance Mm. and I'd heard just terrible things. Like you're going to get scammed. There's all these scams with the taxi drivers. There's scams with the hotel people, like scam, 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 scam. And I just was like, oh my God, like this is going to be really stressful. And I was like on the fence about, do I go? Do I not go? Do I go? Do I not go? And the thing that tipped me over, if you've noticed a theme with my travels, it's food and yeah. having a gluten allergy. Vietnam is great for that. They do a lot of rice-based dishes yes. and the food is supposed to be fantastic. I loved my little hint of Vietnamese food, you know, in the U S and so ultimately I was like, 
I want, it was kind of like Avignon. Like I'm going to go, I'm going to give it a try. I really want to know what this food is like. And if I hate it, I can always leave. So I got a visa, like a one month visa. Yeah. And I told myself, start in Hanoi, go down because of the weather. That was like the better direction to go. And I was like, just wing it. And so I wasn't booking in advance. I was like, the second this feels unsafe or the second I decide this isn't for me, I'll go back to Thailand or somewhere else and I'll just figure it out. And I was there for three weeks. I went north to south. Yeah. It was so incredible. It became one of my most favorite places in the world. I ate amazing food. I had the kindest interactions with humans there. Like not everyone was nice to me, but I even loved that because people were generally only nice to me because they wanted to be nice to yeah. me or because they felt sorry for me as a single woman <laughs> traveling by myself. But contrast that with like Cambodia where lots of people would be nice to you, but it was very transactional. It's like, yes. you know, like you've paid me for a service or I want to ask you for money. And so you just didn't feel like you got to really know people as easily or as well. And like in Vietnam, I love that some people were mean to me and some people were nice. It's just like the US, like it was just <laughs> real life, you know, like you're just treating me how you want to treat me. And, you know, there were like a time or two where people would want to charge me more for something. But in the grand scheme of things, if you want to charge me an extra 50 cents or a dollar for my soup, I am not going to get mad about that. Like yeah. I am privileged to be able to come here and have my currency be so strong that I can do this without, mm. you know, being stressed. And so take my 50 cents, take my dollar. I don't care. Um, but generally speaking, I had this really amazing experience. I had the kind, like some of the kindest things strangers would do for me happened while I was in Vietnam. And I never had some like big scam or big negative situation. And I, I loved it so, so much. And it was sort of this, for me, it felt like this sort of, um, undiscovered, like amazingness because I didn't know much about it and I didn't come with expectations. Yeah. Very interesting point in that, because I think the half the country is below 25 years old. Um, oh, so real young population, I guess it's mm -hmm. due to the war mm -hmm. uh, back in the day. It's actually a good point when you in Southeast Asia, cause I've been there a few times when you compare Vietnam to Cambodia, uh, Lao, not as much, but Thailand, uh, definitely Bali or Indonesia, well, Bali, should we say specifically, a lot of people approaching you. Um, India's the same as well. Buy this, buy this. But Vietnam, no pressure. They might charge you a bit more, but yeah. they're not tapping on your shoulder like, oh, do you want this? Like, you walk through a market, you're left alone. Uh, very different mentality. Whereas, like, it came, it became a bit tiring in Thailand and Cambodia, where you or and Bali especially, you approach all the time. Like, do you want this? Do you want this? Now I'm just looking. But I think that's because the younger population are just kind of seeing more and more tourists, and they just let them get on with it. Yeah, yeah, Vietnam's a great place. Been there twice. It's always a yes. Yeah, I've been there twice as well. And, you know, both times it was incredible. And like I said, it's so, I just love that when I was there, I felt like I was just seeing the country like in my, through my own eyes and nobody was going out of their way to be kind to me or give me some false impression because I was a Westerner. Like if they didn't like me, they were clear they didn't like me and they just left me alone or they just, you know, like looked at me weird or said something mm. snappy. But then there were other people that were so incredibly nice. I got food poisoning my second time there. And yeah. I remember the woman at my homestay, her and her mom were like checking on me. They got me medicine. They were like, you know, just so worried about me and wanted to make sure I was okay. And it was just really cool to be there and just feel like, you know, it wasn't transactional. It was just whatever they wanted it to be. They were just authentically being themselves. Yeah. And I got a really cool sense of what they were about and like what that experience was. And I really struggled, not as much in Thailand, although I do think, you know, it's definitely like, definitely the cities were catered that I visited were catering a lot to Westerners. But mm. in Cambodia, it was, you know, it was a really different 
culture than I was used to. And they have a heavy NGO influence. And so you would go to a coffee shop, like a coffee shop. And they'd be like, oh, we're part of this NGO and like all of our, and so, but some of it was fake, right? Like people would start things that they would call an NGO, but they weren't. And it was just a really different dynamic. And I remember like getting stopped a lot. There was a man on a bicycle, like just when I was walking from my hotel, that was like, sign this petition for my kids. Like we need to school. And then you sign the petition. He's like, I need money. And so that just happened a lot. And, um, it was just really different. And so I felt like I was always a tourist. Like I was always, you know what I mean? Like kind of had people around me and I didn't really get to just be and see it and get to know it and kind of immerse in it. And so that, you know, like was different than I had expected. Come back to Cambodia in a second for Vietnam. Any particular highlights of places or experiences? Of course, of course. So one of the best food tours of my life, Hue. Hue Hue. has, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh my God. This guy had me on like the the, like tuk-tuk type thing. I forget what they call it in Vietnam, but he was like driving me around on like the bicycle carriage thing. And it was a four hour tour. I was, I literally had tears (laughs) in my eyes because I was so full and I couldn't stop eating. And he was just making sure I had food to eat. I was like, I can't eat anymore, (laughs) Tom. And he was like, yes, you can. Um, but Huey was like this huge surprise, the history, right? And then, um, you know, just like, oh my gosh, it was a really fascinating place. I had never been before. So obviously Hoi An with the lanterns and the thing, I mean, it's it's more touristy, but it wasn't super touristy back then, but, mm. you know, definitely on the radar. But I was enchanted by this little magical place, you know, along the river. And um, one of the other, I think, big surprises for me was just uh, how long Bay, it was like, both more fantastic than I imagined and also kind of like grosser. Like I remember yeah. <laughs> like being on the describe boat. it. Yeah. And it was like I remember being in the boat and they're like, now you can get out and swim. And I got in the water and all I smelled was gasoline. And I was like, I gotta get out of this water. This is like, but do you know what I mean? It was just like yeah. it was a lot. It's like a it's like a really big tourism thing. And yeah. so it was a really interesting experience. But um, I mean, Vietnam, like it just Every stop, I felt like delivered some new surprise. And mm. um, I was in Dalat in the mountain town and it oh, was really cold up there. Yeah. And it was really beautiful. And I did a tour through some of the villages. And then the hostel owner was this really friendly guy who was a little too friendly. And I remember he was telling me this whole story while we were on the tour with like two other people from the hostel. And he was like, his wife was pregnant, but he was still in love with his ex-girlfriend. And he sent her pictures of his junk. And he was like, should I have done that? I feel like she didn't respond. And I was like, what is happening? I have like all these crazy memories of my time in Vietnam, but it was like everything to me, entertaining, beautiful, like ridiculous. It was all of the above. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. In the lab, Uh different direction here. My friends who obviously found out I'd start this coffee podcast, right? One of them jokingly said, oh, you should try um, the weasel coffee. Oh, I said, oh, yeah. mate, I've done that in Bali. But I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't like coffee at that point. So I, was, mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate it or yeah. know much about it. But in Dalat, I've done it there as well. And I was like, oh, I've already done it. And like, I showed him some photos. But not not sure the ethical part of that because yeah, the weasels aren't they... kept, in, they're kept in cages and stuff. Yeah. So it's not mm-hmm. brilliant. But if you're just going for just the coffee taste, yeah, it's interesting. And the, the actual place is pretty idyllic. Um, but yeah, yeah. Dalat was, it was very calm compared to a lot of Vietnam. Yes. Oh yeah, it was calm. And I mean, it's cool, right? Like mm. a lot of the places I was traveling were warmer and hotter and it's like up in the mountains. So it was a very different vibe like than other <laughs> places. And then I went from Dalat straight to Ho Chi Minh or Saigon and it was like yeah. intense, the most peopling, you know, that you've yeah, ever peopled, crazy. The, the noise, the sounds, all the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hailon Bacon point as well. When I went in 2013, it was busy. I went two years ago or three years ago now. 
four years ago, okay. 2018. Super busy. Like I'm really? talking about now it's got high rise buildings like, by the boats. What? The boat yeah. I was like, where are these coming from? <laughs> and it's really busier than what it was in 2013. I can't even imagine. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So I was pretty shocked with the um, tourism yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but we went to, I don't know if you've done this back in the day in 2013. We've done the, the Castaway tour. Oh, no. Uh -uh. Have you heard about this? There's a, I think it's Hanoi Backpackers, the main one in Hanoi. They arrange this tour where you go on a boat and you get dropped, dropped off an island for two nights and you can't go anywhere. It's just a slight little beach. What? Oh, my yeah. gosh. You just described a nightmare of mine. Like, oh, my <laughs> gosh. Wow. Did you do and, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's, it's pretty popular with some backpackers. So you're okay. on this like, little island with maybe there's two groups because they overlap, right? They take one group, they bring another group. So at one time, maybe 40 people and the staff there, they cook you food and do that. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, people are cooking you food. Okay. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. they there's, there's... you off and they're like, good luck with your granola bar. I'd, like, I'd love that. Know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not quite as um, okay. serene as that, but yeah, a lot, a lot of people do do that. So if you're, if you're young and you want a bit of a party, but like away from the tourists, yeah. that's a good thing to do. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I feel like my travel style, I mean, I'm 40, I'm almost 43 now. And so I feel like my travel style has evolved, but I'm super grateful, you know, that I did a lot of the travel that I did starting in my early to mid thirties, because, you know, I don't even know if I would, I mean, I would, I could do it now, but I think I felt a lot more spry and just a lot more <laughs> adventurous as far as like staying in hostels and things and not caring if it's a bad mattress or, you know, if I'm sharing a bathroom with six other people or eight other people. Mm. And so, you know, like, yeah, it just changes and evolves, but, um, that's really interesting. I've never heard of that. That's really, I just feel Pass like I want to go look that up now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got some pictures I'll send them to you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't take a camera on my first trip. That's a, that's another thing. So I had no camera, no phone. Holy and I think, crap. So the, the, the six month backpacking trip in 2013 is purely based on memory. What my friend remembers and Facebook. <gasps> that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, Does it feel like, do you pine? for that moment to have some type of like visual or physical, you know, like, or are you okay with it? Cause I feel like I would be, I feel like I'd be nostalgic for like photos. I'd be like, Oh man, like I really wish I had a photo of that. No, I'm nostalgic without the photo because I do have a quite good memory. I've written it all down in case I write books. I've got it all written down oh, just in case it's sitting there like on so Google good. somewhere as a okay. draft of a book, just in case I forget, but there's, there's a beauty to it where, I can't show you a photo. There's a few photos lying about with other people who, who took photos. Uh -huh. um, there's a few flying about, but the majority of the places is just based on story and anecdotes, really. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I don't have a lot of pictures of me, but I do have like a fair amount of like, not a lot, but maybe like four or five or six from each of the places that okay. I went um, a lot of times, but there, there are, there are some where there's no me and there were no photos. Photos just weren't as big back then. I mean, they were no. getting more but they just yeah. weren't it wasn't like you needed to photograph like every sneeze every every like coffee that you had <laughs> it wasn't like the same type of thing no facebook was purely there just as an update for my family because again no phone no whatsapp yeah so i can't ring them i can't message them the only thing i could do is go messenger and go hey, hey i'm just here i'm in bangkok this week uh we're, we're going wow. maybe going here next week and this message you know just keep you up to date yeah wow yeah, seems like a lifetime cool. ago doesn't it yeah it does it <laughs> yeah. does <laughs> okay anywhere you want to mention before we move on yeah i mean i feel like we've hit pretty much all the highlights i also would add i loved 
turkey. So I got to oh, see yes. turkey in okay. 2009. Yeah. So, you know, really different context, right? Like I think a lot has changed in Turkey, but I remember going there again, similar to Vietnam with very low expectations. It was actually um, a business school trip where there were two countries, Egypt and Turkey. And I was so excited about Egypt. And I was like, Turkey is just an add-on. Like, I don't really care about Turkey. Mm. And I was actually disappointed with Egypt, but oh. I fell in love with Turkey and I yeah. had the most amazing experience. So I guess that's like probably um, a good analogy to, for how to go through life with like the lower expectations and just be like surprised and delighted by what life wants to offer you. Yeah. Good way to go about it, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. I've got some quick fire questions about these trips, not really country specific, but just situations. Okay. So yeah. you mentioned two trips uh, in this conversation. So you've done one sabbatical, if you like, trip mm -hmm. and then yep. an another mini one. So what was the... Yep thinking that you, you finished one, got a job, come back to another one? Yeah. So I finished one yeah. and I was broke and I was yeah. like, I still have $42,000 worth of student loan debt. Yeah. I need to pay this off as fast as possible. So I went back to corporate and pay that debt off in less than two years. And so yeah. once I paid that debt off, I got certified as a life coach and I decided to try to start my business at that point and um, left my corporate job like a year after that to go full time. Yeah. Thought I was going to go full time, but really like, oh my gosh, starting a business was no joke. And I think I still had a lot of wanderlust left in me. So yeah. I decided to keep it really part-time and I kind of just started traveling around the world and focusing uh -huh. on that as the priority. And then work was the second priority. And so I ended yeah. up traveling on a semi-break for another almost um, two years. It was, oh, wow. it was actually a long time. Yeah. <laughs> that's it the, was that's a long podcast time. episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah alluded to that but yeah it's kind of like it was kind of like a big deal so there was wow. a lot to that story but yes so that was like a whole separate journey with a completely different vibe like we talked about the planning of the first one and this yeah. one was like i didn't even mean to be on a break now i'm on a break i'm having sort of this existential crisis about what am i doing and i yeah. left my corporate job and my relationship of six years was over and i sold the house that i'd owned in atlanta for 14 years and i'd moved out of minnesota and i'd sold all my stuff for a second time and all this happened within six weeks of each other and so it was just like a huge life change and travel was kind of what helped me move through that and start to really reconnect to what was true for me. So it was a really interesting and very different experience in the first time. So the second time is more winging it. Definitely. It was a hundred percent winging it. Love it was that. like, I literally was on it and I was like, I don't <laughs> even know what I'm doing. Okay. Quick questions. Yes. What's the most challenging situation you maybe found in your, on your travels? You actually mentioned one about the, in Italy, but is another one that springs to mind? Yeah. So Italy was probably one of the scariest. Um, there was another moment that was really like nerve wracking for me, although it sounds on the surface, like, why were you so scared? But it was really scary. So, you know, I got on that bus in Dalat headed to Ho Chi Minh and it was a six hour drive and I don't speak any Vietnamese. Mm. I was on this bus. It was not a fancy bus. And I was the only obvious, like it was only Western on that bus. Yeah. And all of the announcements were in Vietnamese. And it was just this really, I think, I think they're both moments where I didn't, I felt like I, there was a powerlessness to it. Like I have to fully surrender to this experience <laughs> and depend on the, the kindness of strangers to help me figure this out because I'm a very independent person and I can mm -hmm. usually figure things out by myself, but I'm on this bus and you know, it's not like the U S the, the stops aren't announced. And sometimes they're stopping to pick up a friend. Sometimes 
sometimes they're stopping because somebody said, I have to go to the bathroom. The bus yeah. driver decides he wants to take a smoke break. So I never knew where I was. And I was like, I hope I get off this bus at the right time. I hope I know when I go to the bathroom, they don't leave me because like, I, I don't know if anybody's looking out for me. <laughs> and it was just this moment of like, I was very aware that whole six hours, like kind of like panicked, like, I hope I get off this bus in a place where, where I'm supposed yeah, yeah. to be. Um, but I think, I think what's, in, what is in common with all the moments I felt afraid is just that I was like really aware that I, like, I felt powerless and I didn't have the strong sense of control in my home environment or comfort zone that I was used to. Yeah. Control. That's a key one. Mm -hmm. Got to surrender it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Okay. I've got here, like, was there a low moment? I guess that kind of ties in with what you said. Um, maybe with Italy, I don't know if that's a low moment. Any other low moments you thought, oh, I just want to yeah. not do it anymore? Of course, of course. Um, you know, traveling alone by yourself. And then I had a partner who was, um, you know, like far, far away. We were apart for six months without seeing each other. Like that was the longest yeah. stretch that we went. And that was a long time. And then, you know, my brother like had passed away. And so yeah. there were a lot of big questions and hard moments that I was dealing with. And so I feel like if I'm being super transparent, you know, I feel like it was just a roller coaster and I was just on it and I was enjoying the ride, but there were days where all of a sudden I would be sad with grief or the panic of what am I going to do after this is all over? Or mm. I don't want this to be over. This is so amazing. Like it's going to end and I don't want it to end. And then the next, you know, like the next week I'm like, oh my God, this is so hard. And I'm tired of people not understanding me and I can't eat anything. And I don't, you know, so it's like all of the human emotions sort of like compressed in this experience. But I was just there, right? Like I didn't eject off of the roller coaster prematurely. And I was just yeah. like, this is a ride. I surrender to the ride. And I just tried to constantly keep asking myself what's true for me now. There were times where my plan got a little pivoted or adjusted because maybe what I needed or what I wanted or what was possible would change. But um, I just tried to surrender to like the experience. And, you know, I always knew it was what I needed to be doing. And I was so grateful to be on it. But there were definitely like low moments or days worrying about the future or just thinking about the past i guess they only come with like medium long travel right because short travel vacation you got time you're there for like just a break aren't yeah you? it's like a, yeah. yeah it's like a different mindset you're mindset. just like trying to make the most of those like 10 days or eight days or whatever okay i've got some other questions here but i'm gonna do them at the end for, for the quick fire travel questions uh, right. we're, gonna, we're gonna go into your current business and where you are now so what do you offer as your business right now what is the premise of your business yeah. So I am a career break and sabbatical coach and consultant. So basically, you know, when people have oftentimes corporate careers, professionals that are like in their mid career that we were talking yeah. about and they want to do something like this, but it seems impossible or they feel completely overwhelmed with where to start or they just aren't sure how to make the most of it and make sure that it's a successful experience that doesn't derail their career. Um, they reach out to me, they find me, they hire me. And I do a mix of consulting based on like my past experience <laughs> also with life coaching. So I'm a certified life coach. And so a lot of this is mental. It's setting the intention. It's having the right mindset. Like we've talked about many times, all the fears, right? Like how do I become okay with being uncertain? How do I prepare to re-enter when I'm not even sure what I'm re-entering to? And so mm. it's a lot of that deeper work as well. Um, but at this point, you know, I've coached about 53 people through a break, not counting people that are still preparing. So I've just seen so many journeys. And I think one of the key things that people need and what I needed is permission, permission to think I'm allowed to do this and it's possible and I won't ruin my life. And so I think, you know, that's where we start and we kind of create a really substantial and meaningful plan so that people feel motivated and excited instead of scared and confused. <laughs> That's awesome. Is it just for people who are in corporate jobs or can it be anyone from any background? Yeah, it can be anyone from any background, but I'll say 
I think working with me in a one-on-one type of way, which is the majority of my clients, they need a longer break to make that work really worthwhile, right? So they're they're going to invest with me and they're going to spend, you know, three months like doing all this deeper work. It's because they're taking a six to 12 month break versus like a one month sabbatical through work. Mm -hmm. So most of my clients are taking a longer break, but it absolutely is for everyone. You know, I've helped entrepreneurs and I've worked with somebody that was doing a company sponsored sabbatical for three months where she knew she was going back to her job. So, you know, everyone on the spectrum, but I would say the majority, the majority are people that are in professional careers and they're kind of creating this break for six to 12 months where they're just going to like live their dreams, whatever those may be, and then potentially create an alternate path going forward once their break is over. And you are fully remote, digital, yes. nomad remote? Yeah, all five years I've been working remote. Um, so I have sort of global a global client roster, which is really nice. fun. A lot of my clients are in the US, I think culturally too, right? Like the US, yeah. we really need help giving ourselves permission <laughs> and planning to take these breaks. But um, but yeah, I've helped people kind of all over the world. So it's been really exciting. Awesome. Okay. And where can people find you um, if they want to get in contact and uh, look at your services and what you can offer? Yeah, absolutely. So they can find me. Um, my website is kmcgee, K-M-C-G-H-E-E coaching.com. And I'm also under that same kmcgee coaching. I'm under uh, Instagram on Instagram as well. So you can find me there. But um, yeah, I just, you know, I show up, I give lots of great advice, but also tell some stories to keep people inspired. I think it's important for people yeah. to see confirmation of what's possible, which is why this podcast, right? <laughs> the podcast is amazing because it keeps reminding people of what is possible. And it's like, oh crap, like all these stories in my brain that say it's not possible, but James is telling me that it's possible, you know? Mm. That's why I put one out every week because I'm trying to reinforce the message to just to get that little pilot light in. Oh, they mentioned yeah. it again, how good it is. I need to go. So that's the idea, right? Send a positive message for uh, travel and not necessarily vacation, but maybe like you say, more medium to long-term travel if you can do it. Yeah, creating the space to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What a gift. And all those links I'll put in the show notes. So website, social media, they'll be in the show notes so people can click on those and access you uh, whatever platform that they use. Perfect. Okay. Um, so we've done social media, website, given a, a premise of your business. So we're going to finish with some quick fire travel questions. These are normally your favorite things, but I've got a few extra ones. Okay. I've got a, quite a big question here, but you can just summarize it in a few sentences if you okay. want. Purpose of travel. What do you think the purpose is? Oh, yes. Okay. I would define the purpose of travel from my perspective to be learning about other ways of being in the world and then taking that learning and distilling it down to new parts that I discover about myself. Wow. Okay. And I'm going to ask you on your trips, maybe a lesson learned. And you can have two here if, it, if it's hard to yeah. choose one, but that you've learned from your travels. Oh, humans are generally kind. Mm. I did not know this before I started traveling. There's a lot of fear, a lot of story in the media about all the bad things that happen, especially as a single woman when you go abroad. And so many places and so many times I've been astounded by how kind humans have been to me. And I think it really like showed me a lot and restored sort of my faith in humanity <laughs> in some way. So I think that's one of the big lessons travels taught me. You can be skewed from the mainstream media and stuff like that, right? If that's all you do. Yeah. Do you have any future travel plans this year? Let's go oh, this yes, year. I do. Of course, yeah. James. Of course. Yeah. Um, I tomorrow, well, no, in two days, I'm heading to Vegas for a day to visit my sister and then on to Seattle and the Pacific Northwest road tripping down to Portland and then coming back to the East coast. And then my birthday, James, my 43rd birthday is next month. And so I've decided to gift myself with a trip and I don't know exactly where yet, but Greece, Argentina, 
and maybe the Dominican Republic. So it's like I've got three <laughs> random places, but I'm really excited and I'm just going to go somewhere. Wow. What a lifestyle to say, like, oh, I'll choose one near a time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. I got two weeks. I'm like, yeah, yeah. it'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. Leads me nicely on to these are real quick fire travel questions. Hey, yeah. Just a quick one before we carry on with the travel questions. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with TeePublic, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as T-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcast, and other stuff. Thank you. It's travel question time. Three countries that you've not been to that is on your hit list next. Okay. You can go anywhere tomorrow. What three countries are you going to? Okay. I would love to see South Africa, especially Cape Town. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Cyprus. I don't know why. I just want to see Cyprus. Yeah. And I would love to go to Japan. Got it. Okay. And three countries that you have been to that are your favorites. Oh, <laughs> three. <laughs> okay. So I, Greece. Yeah. I love Greece. Um, I really, really love Spain. I have a fondness for Spain. Oh yeah. I love Spain. Yeah. Yeah. And Vietnam. Okay. And if you could pick a country to live in for a year that you've not lived in before, where are you going to live? So I would say Ireland or Scotland. I've never been to Scotland and I've only been to Ireland for five days, but I feel like that place needs to be explored. And so it feels like a place I could be for a year and have a really nice time. And do you have a favorite beach that you've been to? Oh, that's a great question. Um, As touristy as it was, I went to Koh Samui in Thailand and it was really, really beautiful. So I think in some ways that was like from an aesthetic point of view, it was a really lovely beach to be on. Those three islands there, Penyang, Tao and Samui, if you can just get in there before the whole full moon party stuff. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes, (laughs) I was before that part. Yeah. Okay. Do you drink coffee? I do, but only cappuccino and only like once a month because coffee doesn't like me. I find like it's okay. very dehydrating. My body doesn't like it, but I love the scents and the smell and the journey. So like I will have a cappuccino like once a month. Okay. If you have your cappuccino once a month in any city in the world to watch the world go by, where are you going to sit? <gasps> so good. I'm biased. This is recency bias, but I had the most amazing cardamom cappuccino in new orleans and new orleans is one of my happy places and it was just the most amazing experience so i would go back to mammoth and i would have a cardamom cappuccino and watch the world go by lovely okay and what about if you could choose one view for the rest of your life what view you can choose so what i mean by this is is it going to be a city is it going to be an idyllic beach in the south pacific is it going to be the wild plains in africa himalayas whatever it is one view that's it what you choosing okay i'm a city girl but I also love nature. So this is really hard, but I love, I think Seattle is a beautiful place and it's a city with amazing water and the mountains and the thing and the thing. So I think Seattle. Got it. Okay. Okay. I accept that. And a favorite walk or trek that you've done. Oh, golly. Walking through the redwoods was in freaking incredible. That was incredible. I felt like an ant. It was amazing. Yeah. You always see the videos, right? Of how tall they are. Got to go. Yeah. Got to go and see it. Mind-blowing, yeah. Okay, and three favorite cities as your city person? Oh, okay. 
I did love Sao Paulo. Yeah, you did. Um, so yeah. yeah, I did. So I'm going to put Sao Paulo. Uh, I love Barcelona, even though it's super touristy. I lived there for six months. I can't not put Barcelona um, and another city. I would, uh, Buenos Aires, of course. Of course. Fair enough. Of course. I accept. Of course, of course. <laughs> uh, what about a favorite landmark? Can be nature or man-made? Mm, this is so good. Cheesy as it sounds. Well, maybe it's not actually that cheesy, but Arches National Monument, like that park with the naturally made arches, especially like the delicate arch with the view in the background. It was, I literally had my mouth, like my jaw was like on the floor the whole time we were walking through that park. And it's just like the most incredible thing. Nature is incredible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, random question here. How many countries have you traveled to? Ooh, so I stopped counting, but recently somebody asked me this question. So I did count. Yeah. So I think I'm about four, around 40. Yeah. But I go to a lot of old countries twice. So, you know, yeah, yeah. like instead yeah, of going yeah. somewhere, I'm like, oh, I got to go back to Vietnam. So like, I was like, yeah, so I just don't count as as often, but I think I'm around 40. Okay. Here's a great question for you. You're going to love this one. Okay. Three cuisines or food that you've experienced abroad that are your favorites. <laughs> this is so easy. Oh. I love food so much. <laughs> um, one is, okay, you're maybe going to be surprised. Maybe not. Vietnamese. Yeah. Mexican. Yeah. And French. French. That's oh. right. That is right. I freaking love French food. They love the vegetables. They love the meat. They do the thing with the sauces and it's so good. Oh my God. It's so good. Well, I had someone say Germany once. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> really? I'm going to question he, that one. He's from Georgia. In, uh, just oh, the really? Road. He just yeah. likes his meat and potatoes. I said, Germany, that's got to be the worst answer I've ever had. <laughs> Sorry, Germany. That's it. <laughs> I just, yeah, I remember being in Germany and being like, this food isn't really doing it for me. I, I love curry verse, don't get me wrong, but hey. Yeah. Crikey. That might be the best part. Yeah. Yeah. The curry worst. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. What about a high adrenaline activity that you might have taken part in? Any favorite? Oh, I'm afraid of heights. And I feel like the adrenaline really gets pumping when you get up high. So. Mm. Terror, terror. But um, I did go zip lining in Costa Rica through the cloud forest. I oh, actually yeah. cried before um, before I got harnessed in because I was scared crapless. Like I was like, yeah. oh, I'm just so scared. But once I got started, it got so much easier and it was a really cool experience and like a beautiful view. Okay, cool. Got a few more questions. Random one here. A favorite lake? Oh, a favorite lake. Um, I went to see Lake Superior when I lived in Minnesota. I went to this town called oh, yeah. Ramaray. And it was incredible to me that it's air quotes, a lake, but it looks like you're at the ocean. It was ginormous and there was a storm brewing off in the distance and it was really incredible. So I think it was like awe inspiring to be, yeah. to see Lake Superior. Yeah. That's a good one that. Okay. Yeah. What about a country that's the best value for money that you've experienced? Mm. Vietnam was really incredible. Uh, that was one of the things that I liked about it too, was just like insanely affordable but i would say like what one that was really surprising for me was actually greece so you know mm. being that it's in the eu i assumed it would be expensive like much of the eu and it wasn't i remember i paid 50 euro cent for a bottle of water in the airport and i was like what world is this that i'm living in <laughs> um but my money went really far uh relatively speaking in greece and so that was a really awesome surprise yeah random question here because you've done a few trips if you were to give someone a ballpark figure of the amount of money they need to go traveling for a year mm. You know, this is like budget E type backpacking type. How much do you think yeah. you need in US dollars to be fine? Yeah. Okay. So it depends on what regions or parts of the world you want to go. But I spent about 5K for three months in Southeast Asia. And so if you were like, I'm just going to go intentionally places where it's really affordable, like Eastern Europe, Southeast Asia type stuff um, and make it work, you know, I would say that you could do it with like 20, 20, 
5k and I did it like some, some hotels, some hostels eating well, yeah. all the things. Um, if you were going to do Europe, it's going to be a lot more. I think I spent, you know, probably closer to like 2,500 for, um, like six weeks there. Um, yeah. I did eat well and I did stay in a couple of hotels, but I mostly did Airbnbs where I was sharing a room. But anyway, so I would say, you know, on the lower side, you could probably do it for 15 to 20, but I would say it'd be great if you had about 25, you would have a lot of options in that financial ballpark. Okay, nice. And last question is, if you had to give a few reasons as to why someone should go travel right now, maybe they're nervous, maybe they're this is part of you, not quite sure about how to make the leap, what words of advice and wisdom could you give them? Yeah, I would say the world is a really magical place. And sometimes it's easy to forget that. And so I think what travel does is it makes you incredibly present to the world. You're not worried about dusting. You're not worried about checking the mail. You're not worried about making all those calls and you get to just wake up and go to the cafe or have lunch or walk around and just be fully present to what you are experiencing, which is a gift unto itself. And then I also think there's magic in the world that we forget because everything when we're in our comfort zone looks the same. And so to just go outside, you have so much more appreciation for trees, for nature, (laughs) for cities, for accents, for people, for foods, for scents, for smells. And it's just like, if you want to fall back in love with life, I think travel is a way to appreciate both where you came from and also all of the surprises and joys and differences in the world that are waiting for you. That is a great answer. Thanks so much, Katrina, for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for making time. And it's been an awesome chat. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You've been great, Jane. Thank you for having me. Anytime. And I think we need to get you back on for that second trip, right? That we didn't talk about. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode, as well as photos from the last eight to 10 years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website, jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.